Stop hitting the microphone. It's one of my favorite. God, it's so annoying. (laughs) Mainly because it pisses you off. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Inglorious Pastors Podcast, where we talk about spirituality, news, and how nobody cares about your Super Bowl halftime hot takes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just wanted to weigh in here. Uh, My name is Michael Basinger. With me are Brad Polly, Matt Polly. Hey there. Together, we are the Inglorious Pastors. Seriously, I don't care about what you think about that. I don't either. It was fun. If you didn't like it, turn it off. I'm sorry, they're unbelievably talented. Yeah. So yeah. if yeah. you don't think so, sorry. Get the fuck off my lawn. And there was a, <laughs> there was a lot of subtle and less than subtle, um, like the kids in the cage thing. Not oh, subtle. well, and the Puerto Rican flag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. Women I mean, empowerment. It was, it was awesome. Like, it, whatever. It was great it was in that respect. Like, it, I, it's, yeah, here's I, the thing. Like, the people that are outraged are the same people that vote for Trump and like him. So shut up. My yeah. favorite like, are the none are of that th- makes any like it, whatever. I don't your opinion means nothing. Yeah, but my favorite are the people who are outraged about the people that are outraged. And I, honestly, I'm outraged that people are outraged about people being outraged. I yeah, <laughs> so, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Just gonna throw that. Yeah, out there. no, I agree. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, thank God you shared that. Hey, hey, hoba, hey, hoba, hey, hoba. Hey. Oh yeah. Hey, what are you drinking? Hey, hey, I've been thinking that if. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna need some. I am pre-lit. <laughs> God, you were. You've been there. hitting it pretty hard, actually. You, you drank that bourbon in about three minutes. No, man. I'm not, I've still got a little bit left. But you had a fair. Well, you also had a nine percent beer. Is that is that nine percent? That's why I'm feeling it. It's yeah. pretty. I think it's Belgian style. So I'm so. drinking. It's also um, one of my personal beers. The, so go ahead. It's oh, fine. is it? Yeah. He told me it wasn't. No, that's mine. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I thought it was fine. Oh, sorry. sorry. That. I've drank my I share. I thought it was. Yeah, he, it's fine. yeah. So I'm drinking a 401 cake by Taxman Brewing good. Company. It is great. It's it is such a great beer. Belgian style brown ale with chocolate, coconut, and vanilla. Um, what is eight percent? Yeah. It's a Belgian. I mean, it's a if typical it was, Belgian. Yeah. It was delicious. Yeah, that, that's Thanks, a Matt, for your beer. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> beer that was not podcast beer. Uh, I'm having the, well, I had the uh, Chaco Vesa stout from Stone, which is like a, uh-huh. it's based on like a Mexican uh-huh. hot chocolate. So it's got peppers in it and coffee it's and really good. cacao. And it's yeah, ridiculous. It's really good. Uh, and then I had Old Elk bourbon, single I'm, barrel, which is ridiculous. Rare perfection. Bellmead, and then rare. I'm going oh, to be enjoying Bellmead sherry bourbon. My God, you had bourbon. something before already. Well, it's not gone. Fabulous. Oh, oh that's right. your original. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. that's right. my original. And yeah. then, yeah, and then I'm having a Bellmead sherry cask bourbon. I'm drinking Rare Perfection. It is. Oh, it's the it best whiskey. Perfection. It's the best whiskey we've ever had. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Reminds me of the uh, Full House theme song. It's a rare condition. <laughs> okay, this day and age. That's that's a sentence that should never be uttered. It's an anywhere, important contribution, ever. buddy. You're welcome. Uh, I had I, that uh, may be my best theme song answer to the best theme song. No, like uh, well, just we don't. Can, don't we, I would say we if, can have don't, that. Don't engage with that him. and uh, step by step, day by day. Wait, what was that from? Uh, step by step. Uh, Why do I not? I remember that. Susie whenever and I hit step by step, you know Susie and Summers joint. <laughs> Wait, there was a Suzanne Summers joint that wasn't Three's Ooh, Company. Baby, and uh, I, th- I believe the, the wait her, was Suzanne Summers and Three's Company, uh, yes. right? And that's Pat- where she yes. got her. Yeah, Patrick Duffy, I think, was the. <laughs> oh, that's right. Is that his oh, name, Patrick Duffy? Patrick Duffy. I'm pretty sure I pulled that one out of my ass. I gotta look that up. Nope, you're right. <laughs> Patrick Duffy. I was thinking of the show Just the Ten of so, Us. So we've had a <laughs> Patrick Duffy thinking. reference and a Suzanne Summers reference. 
within St- thirty will, seconds. Nothing will ever beat our Mookie Blaylock record. Mookie Blaylock I wonder, is a solid what's reference. Patrick? He's seventy years old. Yeah, man. dude. We're, hey, fun fact: We're getting old, Michael. I'm forty. Jeez. Yeah. I'm Patrick. a man. I'm forty. I'm forty. I'm a man. Come after me. <laughs> uh. Practice. We're talking about practice. <laughs> no, that was Alan Iverson. I know. And he wasn't 40 at the time. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to tell you what I was drinking. You know what his nickname oh, is? Michael shut his the hell nickname, up. About... His nickname is the Duff Man. Is it? It's on his IMDb. It's wow. has to be true. So did he type his own IMDb out? His great... uh, people call me the Duff Man. Duff no, Man. No, Patrick, they don't. I want to... I, I'm sorry. We, we got. Duffy. I have to. He was in Dallas. Boy, a I, Patrick I Duffy reference, yeah. man. That's that is the deepest of deep cuts. Oh man, he's in All Rise in CIS. He did one episode of each one. Michael. So he's a corpse in in CIS. Yeah. He's also in <laughs> several TV movies uh, around Christmas time. Random acts of Michael. Christmas. So he's the a Hallmark actor. Secret. He's a Hallmark actor. Yeah, Christmas it's, with a view. He was Bobby Ewing. That's the all Christmas. You, all you cure. need to know is he was Bobby Ewing in Dallas. In Dallas, the that's Christmas all you need cure. to know. Yeah, he was also in Michael. the Dallas reboot too. <laughs> Dallas too, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, produced by Jerry Jones. I didn't know we were getting into a Patrick Duffy deep dive. <laughs> we weren't. You but were. I, well, it wasn't. It wasn't in the in the plans, but. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, he does. We haven't, we haven't murdered you yet. That's how he works. Can I talk about my beer yet? Yeah, what are you drinking? Yeah, why not? Um, Nobody cares. From Witchwood Brewery in... Uh, which which one? Witchwood. Witchwood? Yeah. Uh, in Whitney, Oxfordshire, England. That was what was that? Really bad. Do a better one. Oxfordshire, England. Yeah, it's way better. Thanks, Austin Powers. Um. <laughs> anyway, it's called Hobgoblin. It's an English Ruby Ale, dude. That is a fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. That, I picked that. Yeah, out. that's was a that fantastic beer, in high man. What English Ruby Ale or a Hobgoblin? A Hobgoblin. That's probably more accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm also drinking Teddy Bear Kisses, one of their variants from Upland. Teddy Bear Kisses has cacao and orange zest. It's an imperial stout. Man, it is fantastic. And then I'll be chasing that with Suntory whiskey. So it's Suntory time. It's sun- up in her Isn't that what Bill Murray? Yeah, it's uh, in, uh, Lost in Translation. Yeah, yeah. it's Suntory time. <laughs> That's actually really good whiskey. Yeah. What are you? Lenny's just hovering. What are you hovering? What for? are you doing, buddy? All right. Okay, he's All just right. listening. You want some headphones? This is the first or? podcast he's listened to. Uh, <laughs> we can get you some headphones. You well, thank God for that. Uh, what What's next? Okay. What are we doing? Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. This round is on the the patrons at patreon.com slash pastors podcast. If you like to buy us around, uh, did you say slush to... pastors podcast? <laughs> I don't know. It's our slush fund. Are we going to buy? Are we, are, are we going to buy a life size baby? No, yet? I am buying Mandalorian you armor. You not. You would not wear Mandalorian. Yes, I would. To the to the podcast. Sure. I don't know how much that costs, but it seems infinitely. Yeah. See, Lenny said that he wants to do that too. See, you don't have three hundred fifty dollars. You probably owe me three hundred fifty dollars. Well, no, I think Mandalorian armor is going to cost. More yeah, it's going to cost way more yeah. than three hundred fifty. Best car is not cheap. Yeah, uh, th- th- you could join the Mandalorian mercs. They're the guys who uh, no. who dress up as Mandalorians. Okay, I don't I don't know where to buy also the armor. Also known as though. people that live in their mom's basement. A lot of people. No, there's a lot of well-rounded don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Who I've been to like Comic Con a number of times. They're wonderful people. And here's the fun fact: it's no different than the assholes that show up to NFL games painted up and their faces painted and all that mm-hmm. shit. That's true. 
Brad's right. It is. I, yeah. I'm right. So yeah, fuck shut you. Up. Yeah, Matt. I think that's the that's the. Like the, the, is that the message we're that's going the with? Message here right, that's the message here. That's fair. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, patreon.com slash pastors podcast. You can help uh, us fund our habits. And I don't care. <laughs> um, are you ready for Gary Busey? Yeah. All right. I think it would be an honor and a privilege to be a bird in Malibu. This has been meditating with Gary Busey. He's not wrong. I mean, that's that's fair. You can shit on rich people. Well, I mean, can you think of anything better to do with your time at this point? (laughs) Gotta make sure we're recording. I didn't remember if I pressed record. Oh my god. We we are okay. Thank God. All right. You're listening to Look on the Bright Side with Mr. Brightside himself, Matt Polly, Esquire, the Third. Always look on the light side of life. Life's a See, piece Joey of shit <laughs> when you look at it. something you've forgotten. <laughs> to smile and what do you got? And dance and Man, I was going to prepare for this and I forgot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forget every week to prepare for it until we get to the song. It's your like, section. Your I know. So Matt that doesn't mean I give a shit about it. I just, when you die, it's going to be um, in memoriam section. Yeah. Uh, I had a pretty good day at work yesterday. As far as like, um, it was busy. But I and actually the last two days, like it's been busy, but it has I've actually sort of reached a point where I can just basically do stuff on my own. I don't really have to call for people that often anymore to help me. Um, I've kind of kind of reached a point where I can sort of figure stuff out. And that's a pretty good point to be at, actually. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of goddamn machines to learn. I mean, you guys sort of know that with what you do. Yeah, but I mean, yep. it's like massive ass machines and there's a lot of them. And so in my area, especially where I work. I already sort of knew what they did, but like now I have a, I can diagnose pretty well and I have a, pre- I, li- I at least have a good idea where to start looking right. for stuff. Occasionally you run into stuff. You're like, man, I've, I've tried everything I know to try what else you got and bring somebody back to the nose a little bit more. Right. But honestly, those, those days are kind of few and far between where I have to do that. So, um, well, that's why, and that's why I couldn't show up till I thought I was gonna be out of there at six. Yeah. I couldn't leave till like six fifteen cause I was got a call at like five, had no calls like all day, five thirty. Uh, I've got an air leak. Okay, so it's probably like an airline. No, it wasn't an airline. It was the goddamn cylinder that was all twisted up and shit and leaking air and everything else. So I had to replace Same. that. Yeah. What? Damn, twisted up and leaking air and shit. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I had a pretty good. Co- I had a couple pretty good days at work. So that's. I mean, <clears throat> it's nice to have some. I mean, you guys understand how it's nice to have some wins. Yeah, oh, consecutive absolutely. wins in Dude, a row where like you you do stuff well and you don't fuck anything. There's up. nothing like, worse than the days where like I've I had fuck, days before I shit up on. Friday. I've had a days before where like I'll have two calls where like I don't have the part that I need to fix it after spending hours or whatever yeah. on. It. And that is there's for me uh, in a neogram nine nothing worse. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. That is literally bamboo shoots under my fingernails. Yeah. Bad. Like yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. So, so yeah. anyway, yeah, but I, I mean, I get that feeling and it's, it's, um, I mean, Friday we did our, our down got moved from Tuesday to Friday. And so I lost a day off this weekend, which fucking, yeah, <laughs> blows. Um, but, and I, I had to redo a couple things and it just, it just sucked. Like Friday just sucked royally. Um, so to have a couple days, I always row, know when your days suck cause you're completely incommunicado all day. <laughs> I, like, well, it's not hard to tell when you have a good day or a bad day, good days, you're <laughs> engaged and joking around bad days. 
Where's Matt? I think he died. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> well, it, honestly, on our down days, I'm like it's all day long. Like you're pretty much busy. Like there's no time to really do anything. So you're pretty much working the entire time doing stuff, rebuilding things, and whatever. But it's preventing maintenance is all it is. You right. guys get that? It's like yeah. it's like doing twelve two hundred Ks in the yeah. same day, pretty much right. is what it amounts to. Sex dogs, no balls, <laughs> what? don't call them doggos. That was, a, that was a highlight of my week. Hit, what the hit, f- hitting that button? I really wanted to hit it really bad. Okay, so he's done. I'm done. He's Brad, what done. do you got? God damn uh, it, man. Michael, Michael's done. Uh, I do. I do have a good one. No, you don't. Yeah, you I just do. blew yeah, your. Yeah. You just you just blew your watch. You just blew. I'm gonna do it twice then. I'm sorry to all Richard Beck fans. Um, and Richard Beck, I'm really sorry. Yeah, honestly, he seems we, like we a told him not man. to listen. So I'm down twelve about twelve pounds. Nice. Wow. On. That's great. Uh, <laughs> Drunk Michael. Sometimes fun, sometimes you want to cut his throat. Um, <laughs> that's not me. That's not me. What? Why? That doesn't make any sense. You're the inspiration. No, I'm not because you're still fat and you're not trying to lose <laughs> weight. <laughs> All right. So I'm down five pounds from the weekend, buddy. I feel. I feel dumb. Is that what I, I feel pretty good. So I. It's it's working. Which is nice. It's Good. working. Um, yeah. So, nice. Right. Michael, dare I even ask uh, n- what you n- have? So yesterday, I think I even texted Brad this yesterday. Uh, I walked in the door. My daughter just tells me, I hate you. <laughs> Feels like a win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, come to find out, she also told my son that she hated him and my wife that she hated him. So she learned a new word, her. basically. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and so she just was all about it and then this morning as i was leaving i got a little bit later start so they were up whenever i left and uh, i went and said you know have a good day at school to him as i was leaving and then i walk in you know towards the back door to leave and my daughter comes running out and she says papa i love you oh it's the best it's, like, oh. it's the freaking best and man. she gave me a big hug yeah. where she just held on to me like she didn't want yep. me to leave oh yep. man nothing better that was the best that was the highlight of my week that's how i hug michael level every time he leaves i my mean house. Yeah, yeah why not yeah and you gently whisper sex dog he's played it three times, three times. In, about, in about 45 Within seconds the span of yeah two I, minutes it's so good <laughs> My jam. Is it? It's my jam, man. It's my jam. A curse on Dan's house. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. What, what do we do? All right. I, I do have a, a, a fat pastured. So. Oh, um, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's. Oh, we're that's not, not doing this for fat pastures. It's a gummy bear, but it's a dick. So the story about this. It's not actually. Sorry, Brandon. This isn't actually a fat pastured's gift. Um, uh, but okay. So, so the story is somebody before Christmas, I just got a box and then just, I opened it and it's a literal bag of dicks and it says gummy candies, quote, bag of dicks, dicksbymail.com. Um, and I didn't know who it was from. I even posted it in the pub. I was like, who the hell sent me a bag of dicks? Cause I was like, yeah, it's funny. And it was legitimately funny when I saw it. And then it, a month passed. I had no idea who the fuck sent me a bag of dicks. And I was like, there's somebody. And honestly, knowing Michael, it could literally be anybody. Literally be anyone. It could be anybody. Because if anybody see, how many people has Michael <laughs> run out of the pub? Let's see. It could be it's, anyone. It's a gift. <laughs> it's a gift I have. Um, My body counts one. God. No. Um, Michael, I think I'm the only person that hasn't run anyone out. Well, they just didn't tell you. 
Um, oh, really? No, I don't, I'm just making that up. I don't know. Um, but somebody sent me a bag of dicks. And I, and I got to the point where I was like, someone generally does not like me. Gen- like... It, that that's what it. Uh, well, I, well, I don't sure. know. I mean, if they sent you a severed penis, maybe you could make that or, conclusion. Or a severed they, horse head. That too, <laughs> in your bed. Or, but they sent you a bag of gummy candy. Like, yeah, pe- people do weird shit, especially when they have I'm my address. I don't like gummy candy. I, I really, do. I really want you to put my dick in your mouth. Well, that's well, absolutely not going to happen. My God, so, Michael, Jesus Christ. Uh, with this, this is the dumbest fat passions ever. It's a gummy bear shaped like a dick. So there you go. Tastes pretty good. Tastes okay, like pineapple. Great. Yeah, three out of five. All right. Um, what's next? Newsfeed. Oh, by the way, I saw today speaking along those lines. You can buy a, a chocolate <laughs> ass to send to somebody that just says, eat my ass. It's got a ribbon around it that says, eat my ass. Well, I can almost guarantee we're going to get one of those in the mail here that, pretty soon. That pineapple dick is pretty good. I'm not even going to lie for gummy bears. Did you have the pineapple one? No, I don't know what I... Which Michael, one are you going to try? I tried one. It was... Yellowish. I don't know. <laughs> what's Michael? What is the, happening? What's next? Hit the button. Hit the button. Stop it, Michael. It's eight twenty-two. Can we fl- stop? Flating the gummy peanuts. Great. Your tears, dry all your tears, refill your beers. We're headed into the newsfeed. They all kind of taste like pineapple. <laughs> Even the red ones. They don't taste like burnt green beans. Mm-mm. Brad, what do you got, bud? Uh, I've got three again. Jesus Christ. Oh, we forgot want... the music segment. Oh. Let's uh, do the music segment. All right. All right. Music segment. So, uh, it's Johnny. It's time for music. It's time to play some songs on your Spotify or Apple Music. Um, um, Johnny Cash Night. Yeah, we're doing Johnny Cash Night because our interview is about, a, uh, about Johnny, Johnny Cash. Cash. I need um, some more pineapple dicks. I'm sorry, but if you... Johnny Cash, one of the for me, one of the most compelling figures of the 20th century, bar none, hands down. Absolutely. I've had people ask me before, if you, you know the question, if you could have any a dinner with anyone alive or dead, Cash. who would it be? Cash is almost always my 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 answer. I I feel like he was one of the most compelling human beings to walk the earth in the 20th century, um, not just musically but just personally. And we'll talk and listen to the interview. Uh, by the way. But even if you're not into cash, the interview is there's a lot of really good nuggets in there. You're I mean, it's about cash, to. but it's it's about so much more. It's about than way just much cash. more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, as is the book, I will say. Okay, so we're gonna play a couple songs each. Did you put our, a gummy penis in the whiskey. Yeah, in a hundred eighty-five dollar bottle of whiskey, you put a gummy. I didn't put it in, in the it. bottle of whiskey. I just put it in God. the half an ounce of whiskey I have left. All right. Um, Do you want to ever try whiskey with pineapple? So. We're playing our favorite, a couple of our favorite Cash songs. I've got a, a number of favorite Cash yeah. songs. Well, but, yeah, yeah. So I'll just play a couple many. of them. Uh, this is the Mercy Seat off of American <sighs> Recordings 3, Solitary Man. Uh, this is a Nick Cave song, yep. uh, which is good in and of itself. Yes. Cash, as he did with a lot of cover songs, murdered it. Murdered it. Just freaking fantastic. Owned it. He owned it. Owned it. Yeah. So this is the Mercy Seat. Maybe. It all began when they took me from my home and put me on death row. A crime for which I'm totally innocent, you know. I began to warm and chill to objects and their fields. A ragged cup, a twisted mop, the face of Jesus in my soup. 
those sinister dinner deals, the meal trolley's wicked wheels, a hook bone rising from my food, and all things either good or ungood. And the mercy seat is waiting, and I think my head is burning, and in a way Dude, I'm yearning mercy seat's the electric to be done yeah. with all this weighing of the truth, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and any way I told the truth. And I'm not afraid to die. Yeah. God, it's so good. Damn. And that song just, it just builds, builds. and builds and builds to yeah. the point of execution. Yep. And like, the, the, not only the violent imagery in it, but the, the religious undertones of it. God, it's so yeah. good. It's just so, so good. Yeah. Uh, this was, this is mentioned in the interview forthcoming. Um, one of the first songs that Cash played for Rick Rubin was uh, Delia's Gone. Yeah. Uh, and this appears on the first American recordings, which is like the... Oh, God. Sort of the, the second act of Cash's... Or the... I don't know, second act. Final act of yeah, Cash's career. career. In life. Almost an encore. Like, just an yeah. encore of Cash's life. Um, came out in 1994. Can you believe that shit? I know, man. It's crazy. I was a Jeez. junior in high school when yeah. that shit came out. Tony, um, so anyway, this is Delia's Gone. It's about killing a woman. Is it? Where's my internet? Are you fucking kidding me right now? You want me to play it? Yeah, play it for me, bud. Right, I don't know what's going second. on here. All right, here we go. Delia, oh Delia, Delia all my life. That baritone, man. If I hadn't a shot, oh Delia, I'd have had her for my wife. Delia's gone. One more round, Delia's gone. I went up to Memphis and I met Delia there. Found her in her parlor and I tied her to her chair. Delia's gone. What's the opening round. track of this album? Delia's yeah. gone. And it's like a cheery song. She was low down and, and trifling. She was cold and mean Kind of evil Make me want to Grab my submachine Delia's gone So He talks about it in the book He he didn't actually write that song That was a song from like the early 1900s Yeah But he actually changed it to make it even darker Yeah It's just He wrote perfect murder songs God So So good Yep all right, my uh, first one is, uh, I think the first time I heard this song was on, uh, well, I was watching the opening scenes of Dawn of the Dead. Really? And it was, and it was. Uh, is that with Ving Rhames? I think it is. Pretty a, sure Ving Rhames the is Arby's, in the movie. Arby's yeah. Man Joint, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, check it out. And I heard, uh, as it were. The noise of the little man comes around. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. See, you'll see. There's a man going round taking names. And he. Whoa, what happened, buddy? 
<laughs> that, <laughs> apparently my wife's trying to listen to my Spotify right now. Do you mean to play? I love that she's hijacking yeah. it. She okay. It. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, play it. Break. Hold on. I, Let me mute it. I got to mute my... Can you play? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can you play? I can't get mine to work for oh, some reason. Oh, it's so funny. I love uh, that Sarah's totally yeah, Don't worry. It's the Jurassic it. World uh, uh, fucking... Uh, Here you go. I got and it. I heard, yeah, right. as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. That frail voice toward the end of his life. Old, a white horse. There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody will be treated the yeah, all the same. Man. There'll be a golden letter reaching down when the man comes around. God, just yeah, so freaking good, yep. man. All right, my next one is uh, from Folsom Live at Folsom Prison. Yep, uh, yeah. which is just God. It's such a great album. That was my intro to it. We talk about it in the interview. If you want to see a guy connect with people on a cellular level. You know, it's interesting. I didn't say this in the interview, but I, when I first time I heard that on Pickens came up to my house to cut down a tree in my yard, he and I cut down a tree. Well, he cut down a tree. I watched. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we took the brush out to, we cut it up. We took the brush out to um, the bomb buyer's house because they live out in the woods and they just had a pile. We could throw it in. And we listened to Folsom prison. That was my first intro to Johnny cash. Oh, and I was like, God. Oh my God, what is yeah, this? It's like, so good. And, and that song or, or and just that whole album is just, I mean, if you want an intro to Cash and his character, and I remember uh, the reason I say this because I listened to that album, and I used to put it on a newsletter like once a week for the students, and I wrote about Cash, and all the stuff we're talking about in this interview, I was talking about yeah. back then yep. with just about his connection with prisoners, solidarity, through, solidarity yeah, with solidarity. with through murder and you know, murder yeah. ballads and and all that kind of stuff. Talking about cocaine, he set up on the stage and said, "I'm I'm one I'm of one you. of you." Yeah. And then he sang Greystone Chapel, yeah. dude. That fucking song, I know, man. At the end of that album is incredible. Yeah. So this is uh, Cocaine Blues, which yeah. is my all time favorite Johnny Cash song. Oh man, it's so good. The energy on this, yeah. Early one morning while making the rounds I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down I went right home and I went to bed I stuck that loving 45 beneath my head Got up next morning and I grabbed that gun Took a shot of cocaine and away I run Made a good run but I run too slow they overtook me down in Juarez, Mexico. Laid in the hot joints, <laughs> taking the... God, it's uh, so If you watch good. I Walk the Line, Joaquin yeah, Phoenix... That's one a, of my favorite scenes of yeah, that whole movie, actually. He does an actually. incredible job oh, of the so song. good. Yeah. If you ever seen Walk the Line, you need to watch that. He got robbed of an Oscar. Yeah. Because he yeah. fucking killed... Yeah, he did. 
He killed that impression of John. I mean, Cash. That was a I movie mean, that had the blessing of John and June. Like they yeah. they read the script. They both well, I know gave their blessing. Reese to Witherspoon it. won an Oscar for that for her portrayal of June. But God, how did he not? Joaquin win for that? should have too. He was Gosh. fantastic in it. That yeah. Anyway, uh, pull up like the three hundred nine. Apparently, mine's not going to work. So I don't know. What's That's weird because sometimes mine won't. Yeah, I don't know. All right, it's on American see. Five. Yeah, I got it. Uh, this song is just about the train that takes your casket away basically yeah and uh, it's you know, just this a, is the song i mean this is an album that was re- released posthumously after mm, he died was it yes america five was yeah four four was the last one that okay. was released while he was alive okay and you can hear death in his voice i tell you what if you want to hear what death sounds like listen to america six yeah um, man no gra- ain't no grave yeah man, that that fucking album is and that's literally all just about death and redemption i mean it's it's incredible and and Funny fact, that album is the only one that features his face as a child. Really? All the other ones are him just at the time. Yeah, that's right. This is a face, his face as a child. And so it's about his, about death and about yeah. faith. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. All right, so this is uh, like the 309. It should be a while before I see Dr. Death. I mean, he was like 80. So it would sure be nice if I could get my breath. Well, I'm not the crying, nor the whining kind Till I hear the whistle of the 309 Of the 309 Of the 309 Put me in my box on the 309 Take me to the depot, put me to bed, blow an electric fan on my gnarly old head. Everybody take a look, see I'm doing fine. Then load my box on the 309. take a look and see I'm doing fine. God, it's so On the 309. I mean... You just Ruben used a lot of Tom Petty, by the way, his band and stuff on the on these albums. But he like you just stuff, you just so. see like the last couple albums, you just see a man that is knowing I'm coming to the end, yeah, and I'm at peace. Well, with and that. after and June, so he went, just sings about dying. And after June went, he had he, no reason to live. He had no reason. He, didn't he care. was ready to go. Yeah, I think it was a couple of months apart, right? Yeah, it was like three? it wasn't very long. It was like almost grandma and grandpa. Yeah, they went three months. Well, apart and that's today. what I was going to say is you know with our grandma and grandpa last year, like it was very died, John and June, man, and. We talked at Grandma's funeral. I remember we were talking. It was like we'll be doing this again soon. Yeah, and three yeah. months to yeah. the day to the day he died, he passed away. Yeah, mm-hmm. which that's how after seventy year plus sure. years of marriage, yeah, it should be. It yeah. was beautiful. That's how it fucking should be. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mikey. Um, I want to end on a fun one just because it's absolutely. Fun. Um, but but there there are probably twenty songs ahead of this one in terms of what's yeah. I know. Well, I mean, I would put hurt. I could have picked. I yeah. could have picked. I could have yeah. picked hurt without even trying. Thirty different songs. Yeah. So uh, this one I think is particularly fun. I was toting my pack oh, along the man. dusty Winnemucca road when along came a semi with a high and canvas covered load. If you're going to Winnemucca Mac with me, you can ride. And so I climbed into the cab and then I settled down inside. 
He asked me if I'd seen a road with so much dust and sand And I said, listen, I've traveled every road in this here land I've been everywhere, man, I've been everywhere, man Across the deserts, bare man, I breathe the mountain air, man I travel, I've had my share, man, I've been everywhere I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Baron, Cola, and Vanilla, I'm a killer. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountains, air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. God. So, so good, man. Fucking so A, that's a good So, God. so good. Yeah. By the way, that I'm the killer is a nod to uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. Because he called himself the killer. The killer. By the way, Mean Eye Cat. Also great. Yes, Mean Eye Dude. <laughs> okay, so before we get to the news feed, I have a very vivid memory of listening to Mean Eyed Cat. You, li- you were living in Liberty, Indiana. Okay. In the th- me and you and Elijah when he was like two, two, yeah, he couldn't have been more than two. We're in the car. We went to Oxford to get euros yeah. at Skipper's. Yep, Skipper's Pub, the best euros ever. And they packed that shit. And there was extra meat. We were listening to that, that car, gap. and I look back, and and Elijah was two years old, and he was like dancing oh, in the back in his car it. seat. Yeah, and, yeah. He loved, I don't know why that memory know, sticks man. out, but every time I hear that song, that's the memory that's that awesome. pops up. He loved nice. Cash and he loved ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> when he was young. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, Newsfeed. All right, what all right. I, I'm, just, I'm all just do two. Um, Bush's baked beans. Do you guys like seven layer dip? Uh, like a uh, yeah, seven but, layer bean but I dip. Didn't hear about dip the chips in it. Bush's baked beans. Let's hear about it. Bush's baked beans sets Guinness World Record with seventy layer, one thousand eighty seven pound bean dip. That's Ooh. a lot of beans, man. That's there's, a, there's pictures. That's, Roll that beautiful bean footage. So in honor of the, yeah, well, for real, yeah. There's a lot of beans in this. Uh, okay, all right, in, all right. In honor of the upcoming Super Bowl, this is. God damn it, Matt. <laughs> There's a video of Bush's... God damn it. Can you mute I'm him, done, please? I'm done. Fart I'm, jokes, I'm done. never not funny. Never not uh, funny. All right. <laughs> four times. That's four times. Uh... Setting the Guinness World Record for the most likely to drown in bean dip with a 70-layer, 1,087-pound appetizer to end all appetizers. That's a half ton of beans. <clears throat> the previous record for layered dip was 540 pounds, so they doubled so they doubled it. it. <clears throat> uh, so, I mean, there's 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 not a whole lot to say about this other than that it's massive and That's there's pictures. And it is. Yeah. It's in a giant cylinder. Cylinder of just layers of like shit. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. I, think uh, I, I literally think I just got a skid in my underwear from w- looking at the picture. Touching cotton. Uh, were you, were you touching cotton? Were you? Yeah. That, that's Bush's baked beans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, they're maple bacon. Oh, Ooh, I've had those. Oh, I like Bush's. Dude, baked I can't beans. do beans because of texture. Really? It's not oh, even man, a flavor I love thing. Beans. It's just god, a texture thing. I love mm. beans. They do not like me. 
They don't I like anybody. Uh, You've seen Blazing Saddles, right? It's one of the reasons I don't know that I could ever be a vegan because they eat a lot of beans and yeah. they just oh, annihilate me. I'm 40 and I just can't do it anymore. So basically, Tracy <clears> and Keegan <throat> just fart a lot. Is what it amounts Probably. To. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is <laughs> for. Florida police find narcotics in bag labeled bag full Shit, of drugs. that was one of my stories. Florida man, Florida man, does whatever a Florida man does. Stuffing meth up his ass. No drug screen would he ever pass. Look out! Here comes Florida man. All right. Um, so this is uh, Fl- Florida Highway Patrol arrested two men suspected suspected of drug trafficking. After troopers pulled them over on Saturday and found drugs in a bag labeled bag full of drugs. Dude, I had this. It's amazing. (laughs) The men were pulled over for speeding on I-10 and it's at least it's not A1A. Beachfront Avenue. Uh, we're hot. We're less but keen. And we're not discreet in their plans to sell drugs in the Florida Panhandle. The Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office assisted in the vehicle search and found meth. GHB, also known as the date rape drug, cocaine, MDMA, and fentanyl. Fentanyl. Well, whatever. Yeah. Fentanyl. It's it's pronounced fentanyl. Anyway, it's it's bad. It's It's not good. It can kill you quickly. Uh, Note to self, do not traffic your illegal narcotics in bags labeled bag full of drugs. This is what they said on their social media. The, The sheriff said on their social media. Note to self, do not traffic your illegal narcotics in bags labeled bag full of drugs. Our canines can read. I saw that's amazing. And I'd I say what got in the way with sometimes police departments have really kids. fun. Like I mean, occasionally when they're not, yeah. you know, arresting Murdering. illegally arrest, arresting and murdering black people. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah. All right. All right. Is that it? Who's next? Uh, Who? From uh, your central which I'm sure is not a real website. Um, man accused of trying to pay prostitute with hamburger caught in police sting. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Albuquerque. <laughs> what? Albuquerque. The best Weird Al song. It's not even Agreed. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mom, what's with all the sauerkraut? It's good for you! Uh, a man was arrested during a prostitution... <laughs> song's like 14 minutes long. It is, yeah. <laughs> a man was arrested during a prostitution sting in southwest, southeast Albuquerque. According to a criminal complaint, 36-year-old Dominic Calderon uh, rode a bicycle... Sounds like a drug lord. Uh, rode, to, rode a bicycle up to an undercover APD officer posing as a prostitute in the area of Central and San Pablo Southeast. The complaint states, after agreeing on terms and a price, Calderon asked for the officer's phone number because he wasn't going to have money until enough money until Friday. <clears throat> He's like planning ahead. I got a question. Is this entrapment? I don't know. Like, it um, feels a little weird to me. I that's know. when the undercover officer noticed Calderon was carrying a "Quote unquote uh, to go bag from Chili's." The officer asked Ooh. what was in it, and Calderon told her it was a hamburger. The officer then told Calderon her fee could be the hamburger. Uh-huh. Calderon agreed and was arrested. I don't. I don't know. How is, like I know prostitution stings are a thing, but like, how is that illegal? That seems like a fair deal. Well, prostitution's illegal, buddy. Like I, I know, but he, well, unless you're in Nevada, it's, Nevada. Just, a, it's <clears throat> just a hamburger. But it, it's a hamburger for sex. I can't believe I just said that phrase. Like, if that's not the if that's not the hashtag, it's pretty good. I I can't imagine what would be like. I I don't know, but I think this point forty, I'd rather have the hamburger. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like if it's a decent burger, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, 
Have We're we talking ha- McDonald's all past. I don't know that like... I've ever had uh, Chili's hamburgers. They're all right. They're aren't pretty they called, good, man. Aren't they called uh, Big they... Mouth Burgers? No, are handhelds or something? No, they're called Big Mouth Burgers. Mm. Nothing I called handhelds, Michael. What was the one that has That the was handhelds? your nickname in high school. Yeah. After officers ran Calderon's information, they found he was a sex offender. <laughs> He's a sex offender. With a record. Oh, he did six months in Chino for exposing himself to an eight-year-old. Oh. Eight-year-olds, dude. Uh, police say Calderon's status was confirmed by the probation officer office, and his probation was revoked and upgraded to a felony warrant. Calderon's arrest is one of 11 different prostitution arrests, all made on January 28th on Central Avenue. The hamburger was tagged in, into evidence. <laughs> what? What? That's, that's the, what it says. All right. Uh, do they generally tag money whenever there's like an exchange I, for? Yeah, they do. I mean, I'm sure. Like drug money and stuff and well, whatever. Well, sex money is. Well, probably about. it's money. Money's money, Michael. Yeah. Whether it's for drugs, I know, or but, but, but pussy. I mean, do they use? I mean, did, did what, you have what to happens say it? to the money? Well, I mean, that's what it's for. What? Well, did, so it goes what, into evidence and stays there. So, who gets that money? Though, I don't eventually? know. I don't know. It probably goes into the city coffers. I, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how all that works. It's filling but. our potholes with sex money. Well, or in Martinsville's <laughs> case, not filling our potholes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> filling our pot. All right, what, filling, God, filling what, potholes is when they came in high school. No, it wasn't. Um, what else do you have? When uh, from making good, potholes good news is mine. What? No, you know what? I don't care. Uh, from Good News Network, uh, when young Waffle House worker Waffle House worker was left alone to run an entire restaurant, empathetic customers jump in to help. Isn't this an old news? Yes, item? it's old. I've had it for a while, but Brad took one of mine, so I, I didn't have time to look up another this. one. Wait, what was it? It's a Waffle House worker was left alone to run an entire restaurant. Did I, I do this? Think and people helped. Cook I don't the think food. we've done this. I thought about it. <laughs> well, every time you eat at Waffle House, you think, what would happen if like there was only one? Would I help cook if there was only one? God. Due to a scheduling mishap, one frantic Waffle House worker was left alone to run the entire restaurant on a Sunday night. Ethan Crispo was just one of about 30 hungry customers who wanted food at midnight. That's literally the only time you ever go to Waffle House, right? It's like early in the morning or like during drunk time. Dude, I could use White Castle right now. No, Waffle House. Oh, dude. I could Waffle eat White Castle I could and right Waffle now. House. Destroy some White Castle. Uh, can we get Elijah? He can drive. Can we get him to go get some sliders? Can we get Probably some good. smothered lover? you email him? I'm not going to text him. It's your son. Email your son. Text is that how you keep uh, Ethan Crispo was just about one of about 30 hungry customers who wanted food at midnight. After sitting at his table for a while, he noticed there was just one distressed employee available at the Birmingham, Alabama establishment to take orders, cook food, bust tails, and manage the cash register. Damn. That's a bad That's night. That's a bad day of work. The 24-year-old patron was losing hope ever ever getting a meal. The employee, who was identified only by his name tag reading, Ben Dover, uh, seemed to be on the no, brink of... Uh, solo. Okay. Uh, seemed to be on the brink of panic her. until Crispo saw him speaking to a male customer in a blue shirt sitting at the counter. After a brief conversation, Ben handed him an apron, and the man got to work washing dishes. Jeez. It was a transition so smooth, I initially assumed it was a staff member returning to their shift. It wasn't. <laughs> it was a kind stranger. A couple minutes later, a woman in high heels and a sequin dress, there's actually pictures, strode behind the counter to brew more coffee. She then took a few orders before resigning herself to bussing tables. Suddenly, a third customer in a red shirt... Uh, Tiger Woods, I'm assuming, marched over to help. Woods, no, he's a Perkins guy. They <laughs> get that free pie. Is a per- I mean, and not just pie, well, but yeah, yeah, definitely it's pie. pie. Yeah. Uh, cheers. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you.
in the biblical sense. It's been a while since we've had a, a, a soundboard episode. No, it isn't. It's every week. Is it? Yes. Am I muted? I don't think Hopefully. so. Hopefully. No, you're not. God muted. damn it. Something's wrong with my Maybe. fucking iTunes. Nobody cares. All anyway, right. All right. Uh, anyway, yeah. Would, so, would you do this? I think I could see myself doing term, this. At Waffle House? Any, yeah. No. Yeah, I could do it. So uh, I, I think you could do it. You don't think I would do it? I don't think you would do it. It depends on the where, like, it depends on the circumstances. It was uh, anyway. So this initial, the, this initial customer said it was the first most fascinating thing. It was just one of the most wild instances of really, really cool people just coming together. It made a difference to many people that night. Certainly, their actions made an impact on me. Humanity isn't just good; it's great. No, I mean, can I just say that like I worked at Steak and Shake when I was Man, in high school yeah. for four years, three years. It was a long time. Three years. Anyway, Maybe I could use a Frisco melt. Right dude, I now. used to love working the grill, man. I would. T- I think I could. If, if if the circumstances were right, if my kids weren't with me or whatever, it was just me. I think I could totally do In that. In another life, you're a short order cook. No, I mean, I I, I think I would do that for a little while Flop just to help a guy around. out. Yeah. Man, I cook some hash browns. I'm really hungry right now. I'm hey, so- where, yeah, can you enlist your son? I need a couple of White Castle sliders. How much are we willing to pay him? Uh, the money for the... <laughs> well, we get some funds. We'll pay him 10 bucks. Yeah. Tell him we'll pay him 10 bucks on top of... Ask him if he has a PayPal. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, that's that. All right. Um... What are we, right, my turn? Yeah, it's your turn, right. buddy. All right, so uh, product update. Wendy's is, is going to launch a... Br- breakfast nationwide in march so you can start your day with a breakfast baconator oh i've wondered uh, forever why they didn't do a frosty uh, chino or a honey butter chicken biscuit Ooh, i would eat frosty chino. shit out of that frosty chino damn yeah the the breakfast baconator. i've wondered forever why wendy's doesn't do breakfast the breakfast baconator has a fresh cracked egg, signature sausage patty, and six strips of applewood smoked bacon. Six? That's a lot six. of bacon. That's a shitload of bacon. My oh, God, man. There's nothing about that that I don't. Dude, that's like. a lot of bacon. There's not. No, there's no such thing as a lot of bacon. There's just bacon. The full menu consists of nine sandwiches, three are on croissants, including two options with eggs, um, and Swiss cheese, maple bacon, chicken croissant. McDonald's has chicken McGriddles now. Dude, I love McGriddle. Oh, I do too. God, unapologetically. Yeah, I couldn't. Another, yeah. another product update. Dunkin' Donuts um, made a Frank's Red Hot uh, Jelly Donut, and it it sounds kind of good. Really? So uh, I put that on everything. Yeah, it's salty and sweet. It's a beautiful combination, um, and and Stop. very spicy. <laughs> All those things describe me. So no, super, they don't. Super limited release. I'm trying to find out more information. So, a spicy donut uh, during. Well, I just said no. By the way. Oh, oh. God damn it, Lenny! Twenty bucks. Job. We'll pay him twenty bucks. Twenty bucks? Question mark. We'll find out. This he is said. on top of the food. We'll pay him yeah. twenty. He bucks. said I'm hungry. He said I'm comfy. <laughs> I don't blame him. Twenty bucks though. That'd, that'd get me out of bed. Well, shit, if you give me 20 bucks, I'll fucking go. <laughs> no, no. We're not giving you anything. I mean, just imagine doing the rest of this podcast without Matt, though. It is yeah. It is all right. Hey, fuck the both of you. <laughs> I don't know what kind of jelly it is. I was really hoping to find out. 
Um, what do you say? Fifty? Is he counter offering? No, he. Did, I just said twenty bucks. He hasn't answered. Okay. Um, this is this is <laughs> more of like a for White Castle. <laughs> this is like a, a public service announcement. I know okay. we're all pet owners now. Yep. Uh, Peta is saying that the word pet is patronizing to animals. Dude. Okay. So, <sighs> patron. What are we supposed to call them? <sighs> By their name, Matt. I do. Here's the thing with Peta. I get get your overall message. Like I get it. Fuck it up. I get it. But like their messaging, they have the they have the worst messaging in history. By far, they make so many more enemies than they could make that they make friends. Yep. Just by their approach. Just it's by this bullshit right here. Because Pet refers to them as an inanimate. No, it doesn't. I don't see my my kitten as an inanimate object. No. She is a living, breathing being that I care for and love. They are their own God. individual beings. That's fine. You can still call them pet. It's not like my fucking dog knows. I hate it. It's like just my dog pissed and shit on my carpet. Can today. we? Can like, we? F- can we fight the battles that matter with this shit? Like I just. Animals yeah. are animals are not pets. Oh, I'm like sorry. Not your cheap oh, I just burglar. said deal to twenty bucks. Oh, yeah, sweet. send him. Yeah. I want two. I'll take two sliders. I'll take two cheese sliders. I don't sure. want cheese. Just plain. So we need four sliders and two cheese sliders? Yeah, give him your bank card. <laughs> All right. Here he comes. Oh, him oh. grab my wallet, Elijah. He'll he'll text you the... Lenny, uh, Lenny's the hero we need. He'll text you the order. God, I, I did. Four sliders and two cheese sliders. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. All right. All right. Uh, my wallet's on the... I think my wallet's on the, the <laughs> island. In order of chicken rings. <laughs> Do we want chicken rings? Too? I don't want chicken rings. I'm, I'll take an order of onion rings. If I wasn't on yeah. Weight Watchers, I'd be getting... Like grab a, grab my... be getting a sack of those Grab right my now. debit card out of there. Yeah. Get, get yourself a little something, too. It's going to no. come out of your $20, though. No, no it's not. No, we'll, we'll get you 20 bucks. Yeah. We'll get you 20 yeah. separate. Well, at least we know. At least we know what, how cheap the home how, bank card. How cheap your son could be bought. There you off. go. Yeah, twenty bucks. Twenty yeah. bucks. That's not cheap. That's he's making like what? He's making what? He's making uh, eighty dollars an hour. Yeah, he'll be. That's that's. Lenny's the hero we that's need, good not gig. the one we deserve. Yeah. Dude, just wear flip flops, man. Quit putting on socks. I need some burgers. Is it? Isn't it? Hey, you want to take the good car? And driving? You want to take Vader? All right. Uh, no, I don't either. Good, good point. Take your van. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. This is and the greatest then, thing we've ever done on this podcast. This is the greatest. <laughs> Why haven't we done Why? this before? Yeah, now? seriously. <laughs> These White Castles brought to you by the Passards Pub. <laughs> yes. And the bribery. Uh, glorious yeah. Passards. Bribery. Patreon. Dot clom. Dot dot clom. Dot clom. Slash Passards Podcast. Uh, yeah, you do. You do absolutely. Yeah. Is there a curfew? For Are you taking your uncle's sweatshirt? By the way, my my, <laughs> I was out. It was so nice yesterday. It was like sixty degrees, sixty five degrees. Yeah. I went outside. I smoked a cigar. Yep. I had a glass of bourbon. That and, was Sunday. No, it was yesterday. Oh, did you yesterday? Well, both days. Okay, yeah. I did it both days. <laughs> I did Sunday. I, might I had two cigars left it, before that I needed to mm-hmm. smoke before they went bad. And I got it done. The last two days have been just absolutely glorious until today. And it's yeah. rainy and like 38 30 degrees. Yeah, it's fucking um, gross. And <laughs> my uh, uh, 
oldest. He's 13. He comes out. He wants to come out and just hang out in the yard and play around or whatever. He's wearing like pajama pants and like a just a ragged ass t-shirt. He goes, he comes out, he goes, God, it looks like I'm buying cigarettes from Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there goes Lenny, by the way. (laughs) So good. There goes my hero. Oh, yeah. There goes my hero. All right, I got another one. All right. All right. Um, This is from the sun, so do what you will with this. But, uh, um, boy, that is Britain's shit rag. Yeah, it is a complete shit rag. Um, so low natural, uh, is what this is called. Uh, I, here, here we go. Here's the headline here. I wear my vagina scent as perfume on nights out and men come flocking. I don't really know what to do with that. Before I, heading out uh, on a, a night out with the girls, I got, uh, I I got nothing on this. I she face, she no, face. Fucking damn it! Before heading out uh, <sighs> on a girls' night, any didn't we do a story similar to this routine? Uh, wouldn't be yeah, complete without I a feel spritz like we of perfume. Did. No, uh, it was it was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's pussy candle. Yeah. No, I feel like we did something like this where somebody smears their vagina secretions on themselves. Yeah, so this woman definitely does it. Uh, it's her signature scent. Um, she revealed Ooty, that her Ooty tuna, that her um uh quote vagina juice. Unquote, that dude, that it's her that perfume is the of grossest. choice. Those are those are two no. words should never. It is be the grossest. Put, is no. the grossest thing you can possibly say. Stop it. So she she. Uh, I'm putting that down as a hashtag, but it's never going to be the no. hashtag. No, just I'm just not going to allow it. it. Just erase no, it. No, I'm going to read it. I'm just never going to allow okay. it to happen. So, um, sharing an excerpt from her book, The Game of Desire, with Refinery Twenty Nine, <laughs> published Sex- by whatever God. sexologist Shan Boudram. The and mighty Shan? Shan. Yeah, it is Shan. Not not Shamalama Ding Dong, but no. this is a different Shan. S H A N. I was surprised by just how much attention her delicious scent attracted. I mean, she's not bad looking. No, so but it's here's probably the thing. not Here, the vagina. No, it probably isn't. Right. But here's the thing: there is something to be said for pheromones and stuff. I mean, you know, pheromones whatever, are one I, thing; pussy juice is another. Yeah, but there, like, I mean, wouldn't there be pheromones in that? I guess I, could I would see assume, how this. Would, I, I could see how this would work. I'm not a I pheromone mean, expert. I don't. I'm not know. either. But attract anyone traditionally attracted to women with vulvas. It's a new scent, as opposed to women without vulvas. By goop. Like, by goop. Vulvas by goop. I want off this fucking planet. I whatever, man. I don't care. Like I whatever makes you happy, I guess. I, I spraying vagina juice all over your body. I guess. I mean, whatever. So basically you it's be like you smearing semen on yourself and going, Yes, women are attracted. No, I don't to think this. it's like that at all. It's, it's pretty much like no, that. I don't think that's the same thing, but whatever. I mean so I wouldn't here, do here that. Is okay. Her. So the the similarity would be like I will say this. The crease I think, the no, crease between up. your balls and your thigh, that sweaty place right no, there, I, that's the secretion. I will you're say this. About. I think that's an int- I think it's an interesting scientific experiment. Well, it's not scientific. So here's her, well, it's her kind here's of her scientific. scientific. So having quote successfully connected Unquote. Uh, with two people at the bar, Shan got the women to gather in the toilets halfway through the night. 
Uh, she instructed them to wash their hands, get in the stall, and then move their finger around their vaginal <laughs> oh, opening. Well, well, I, t- I take it a, all back. The goal is to get the sample of uh, Bartholian's gland, uh, which is the size of a pea, uh, but play a large role in vaginal lubrication. <laughs> God damn. Um, the, there was a lot going on right there. <laughs> There's a lot happening. The right quote-unquote expert. Could you, could you repeat that slower? Okay. I instructed no, I'm joking. them Fuck. to wash their no, hands. No, don't. I'm joking. Stop. Get in the stall and then move their finger around Michael, their vaginal Michael, opening. Michael, stop right. it. Uh, the expert then quoted them to rub a good amount of wetness uh, on well, their pulse points well, around their collarbones and neck. Uh, unsurprisingly, one of the women immediately complained she felt sticky. Oh, well. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well. Well. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. All right. Um, no, no, he's nowhere near any of this. Okay, okay. So, um, so sadly, Shan's clients reported uh, that they, they, uh, they didn't have much, much more success with men than beforehand. <laughs> Little Thomas Dolby action. She blinded me with science. Science. Go ahead, Michael. All right. So, um, so they didn't have much more success. Um, but they did note that that a few men leaned in closer, which could have been due to the background noise. And then went out and bought a bag of smoked fish. Maybe they just like long johns. She also longest goddamn. Longest fucking intro ever. It was the '80s, man. Yeah. It's a seven weird. and a half minute song. Yeah, it's, there's no reason for that. Two minutes of foreplay, five minutes of glory. My God, Thomas Dolby, I'm two and a half minutes in. <laughs> this apparently isn't the radio edit. Jesus Christ! Well, that fucking failed. She also claimed that it uh, makes men or makes women act bolder and more confident. Um, which in turn could make them appear more attractive. Whatever. I'm certain that every single time if you want to wipe I your, employ wipe, it, wipe, it makes me feel... If you want to wipe your crotch stank on yourself, like whatever, I mean... I, I think this is, I think it's an interesting experiment. I am, I am certain that every time I employ it, it makes me feel like an enchanted goddess with a delicious scent. <sighs> See... I mean, I guess if it works for you, sister, man, go for it. Whatever. All right. I, you know. All right. So here's the science behind it. So wearing your vagina scent uh, to bag a date might sound bonkers, but pheromones have been proven to play a big part in human sexuality. Pheromones are known to trigger sexual arousal in other individuals. They have a similar effect to hormones, but work outside of the body. Um, in a 2012 study, uh, they found that pheromones play a beneficial role in women's mood, um, focus, and sexual response, and perhaps also in a mate's 
and, and mate selection. Studies have also found that men find women more attractive when they are ovulating, uh, including uh, thinking their sweat smells sweet and uh, getting more possessive of their partners around this time. So there is some studies to back it up. That's what I'm saying. I think it's I think it's an interesting whatever. It's an interesting experiment. It's not necessarily my thing, but that doesn't mean it. If anybody wants to try this out, just let us know how, how it works. No, or, don't. We don't or give don't. a shit. <laughs> don't or it. go no, ahead and do that, but don't let us know No, about don't it. give a shit. Don't even bother. I'm curious. Nope. All right. <sighs> I guess we can transition into Richard Beck. God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. Such a good interview, and we just fucked it all up again. Oh, God. <sighs> all right. Um... So Richard Beck is an award-winning author, speaker, blogger, and professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. Every Monday, Richard leads a Bible study for 50 inmates in a, at a uh, maximum security uh, French Robertson unit. It's a, it's a prison. Yep. And uh, Monday through Friday, on his popular blog, Experimental Theology, Richard will spend enormous amounts of time Writing about theology, uh, specifically the theology of Johnny Cash, uh, he will spend. Um, uh, he also talk about the, uh, the demonology of Scooby Doo, <laughs> or That's his so good, or his latest Bible class, which is on monsters. I will say his blog is really really good, man. Yeah. I I've been re I read it years ago when I was in ministry, man. I I came across it, um, in his book Unclean. We're hopefully we, we might get him back on at some point. We need, I, I think that, we just yeah. go ahead and schedule. God, it. that I mean, book is so it's good. so good, so good. I I will say with this, are you are you done with the introduction? Yeah, yeah well, okay. well, his his book that he is here to talk yeah. about is called uh, "Trains Jesus and Murder: The Gospel Which According to Johnny Cash." Just kill the title. Yeah, man. it's a good title. Yeah. yeah, I I will say, even if you're not necessarily a Johnny Cash fan, listen to this interview because there's some really good nuggets in it, and. I would say the same thing about the book. The book surprised me a little bit. Like I love, I love Johnny Cash. So I'll read about anything that has to do with Johnny Cash. Uh, but there was some stuff that kind of challenged me a little bit. I didn't really expect that, and it was good. So nice. Yeah. So this is our conversation with uh, Richard Beck. Check it out. Yeah. All right, we have Richard Beck with us. Richard, how are you? How are you this evening? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be with you guys. Good man. How's the weather in? Is it West Texas? It is West Texas. The crazy thing is, there's a winter storm advisory. Oh. Like we're expecting like three to five inches of snow tonight, <laughs> which is like thirty inches of snow for other parts of the of the country. Is that what you mean? It, yes, exactly. So <laughs> all the Texans are freaking out right now. <laughs> I'm sure uh, we've got a little bit of that coming our way too. So you're you're sharing with the uh, rest of the nation. We're we're based in Indiana. So yeah. Um, all right. So uh, just to to start off, so you entered my orbit uh, years and years ago. You wrote a book called Unclean, uh, which is one of my favorite books. Uh, that I've read in the last probably 15 years, no joke. Um, it was uh, very formative, I think for me especially, but for the three of us, we yeah. kind of shared it around and uh, it had a really big impact on kind of uh, 
how we thought about a lot of things that we grew up with, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we kind of all grew up conservative evangelical and it was like a really, it was kind of a paradigm shifting book. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, that was the very first book I wrote, but I think it's still the one that people talk to me the most about. Uh, you, I, I remember very vividly you uh, dismantled the whole uh, love the sinner and hate the sin argument in about one paragraph, and I was pretty pretty glorious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a whole conversation, too, to talk about, so I'll I, come back on and talk I, about Unclean. Dude, absolutely. We can totally do that. Um, so... Let's talk to our, our listeners that may or may not be familiar with who you are. Um, who Who is Richard Beck? Well, I'm a psychology professor uh, in Abilene Christian University and have spent just a lot of time thinking about the intersections of psychology with Christian faith and practice. So we've been talking about unclean, and so that's a, a deep dive into kind of moral psychology with yeah. a focus on like contamination and discuss psychology and how that affects the way we think about morality, but obviously how then we think about unclean people and sinners and all the emotional obstacles that that creates for trying to love people the way Jesus did. Yeah. And so you're uh, like, uh, how did you get into psychology? Oh my gosh. Well, so I was going to be a minister and, and, in my senior year, I kind of realized that I had pr- drifted pretty significantly from my faith tradition and realized that it probably wasn't going to be good for me to be a, a leader of a church. Like I was either going to try to push them uh, or they were going to kind of inhibit me. And so I just didn't think that'd be a good fit at that time. But I still liked uh, like theoretical material and still wanted to kind of figure out a way to use that interest to help people and to be in people's lives. And so after a kind of gap year, I thought, well, psychology might be a fit for that, those same kind of passions. Cause you know, ministry is an interesting fusion of kind of theory, like theology, biblical text, but also an applied interest in helping people. Right. And I, and I saw a similar skill set in psychology where I could still kind of do theory, you know, still kind of be bookish and nerdy. (laughs) So, uh, you know, but also use those skills and concepts to kind of help people. And so I came back to school and and down the path of psychology instead of ministry. All right. Um, Okay. So this book uh, is called Trains Jesus and Murder, the Gospel According to Johnny Cash. So you're talking to three Johnny Cash fans around this table right now. Um, Big Johnny Cash fans. In fact, leading up to this, as I was reading the book, I just decided I was just going to listen to a bunch of Cash again. And man, so good. So, so, so good. Uh, so what, uh, like, I, I think for me, Cash's music, and, and I think even on top of just his music, his life latched onto me. It feels like uh, it latched onto me and, and won't, it wouldn't let go. Uh, you know, I was not raised as a listening to country music or anything like that. I, I knew who Johnny Cash was, but I didn't really know any of his music. Um, and then when I heard it kind of around the American recordings years, um, I, it was like, it got its claw, like got like hooked me with claws and wouldn't let me go. Um, so for you, when did that happen for you? Uh, how did you get into his music and, and when, like, when did that happen? Well, I teach a Bible study at a maximum security prison north of my hometown for about 50 inmates every Monday night. Yep. And 
I knew, like you, I knew a little bit about Johnny Cash, but I wasn't a huge fan at the time. And just kind of came across his live at Folsom Prison uh, yep. con- concert <laughs> and just thought that would be an interesting thing to listen to on the way back and forth to the to the Bible study out at the prison. And so that's about a 20-minute drive. And so I would just listen to at Folsom Prison, go to my go into my prison, spend time with the inmates, and then get back in the car and keep listening to that album. And I did that for weeks. I just listened to that album constantly going out to the prison. And then I... Went to live at San Quentin, the follow-up album, yeah. and listen, listen, listen to that. Uh, and there was just something about those two concerts. And I mean, if anybody's ever listened to them, there's just nothing like them. Yep. And I, I detected in the sound of the audience of the the incarcerated men listening to Cash and the way they, especially on the album Live at San Quentin, there, there's a certain moment in there that they just go on and on and yeah. on. So you're just listening to this album of guys just screaming and cheering and hollering. And you could tell Cash had done something to that audience. Yep. That there was like an electric connection, that, that somehow he had seen them as as men, as human beings, and they responded to him. And I felt like I was experiencing in my own Bible study uh, where I would go out there and I just felt a great affection and a love from the inmates out there. They've blessed my life measurably that I just identify with the, those albums so much that I just kind of started taking a deep dive into Johnny Cash. Like, who is this guy? What's his life story? You know, I saw the movie I walked to and uh, so just started reading some biographies and just started listening to his entire discography from the beginning, all from the sun years, all the way to the end with the Rick Rubin and the American recordings albums and yep. became just a huge, huge fan. So what, I mean, what is it, I mean, for you, was it just your experience and how you were sort of listening to, especially the prison albums and then, you know, doing this prison ministry, was it that, or was it, what was it about the music or even just about cash himself that appealed to you? You know, I think it was a lot of different things. I mean, the one thing obviously was just the season of his addiction kind of com- was just very compelling. So here was a guy that wanted to sing country music his whole life, believed in Jesus, believed in God, and yet like wrestled with his demons. Yep. And when I read the biographies about Cash, realized that that his sobriety, even when he got clean in the 70s, was very tenuous. He relapsed multiple times yep. after that. And I just identified with that. And I think the song Hurt, um, the cover of Trent Reznor's song during the American Recording uh, Records that he did a video of. I think it's just when you understand his story and how much he hurt people and how much he had suffered. And then you hear that song sung by a man retrospectively looking over his whole life. It's, it's just it's, when you know his story and you connect it to songs like that late in his life, it was just really compelling to me. And then I think the other thing that drew me to him is that as I listened through his music, I realized that his prison concerts weren't the only ways he kind of expressed solidarity with the marginalized and the oppressed. That all throughout his career, he made yeah. really interesting and profound artistic choices to use his music to kind of give voice to, yeah. uh, to people who don't have any voice. And that just kind of drew me as a Christian. I was like, well, that is, if the gospel is anything, it's that. Yeah. And I, I kind of found him just a profound preacher of a gospel that I think a lot of American evangelicals need to hear. Ooh, yeah, yeah I, that, I agreed. 
that uh, <laughs> the Hurt song, the the music video for that is particularly haunting because I, I think he filmed that in like a an old Johnny Cash museum. Yes, just, just like broken down. Yeah, and, it, yeah. It, it, so he's looking back, and you know, he's later in his life, and he's looking back and seeing all the his his empire you know around him and how how it was dirt you know it was dusty and it was in uh in shambles so uh i think that music video really pairs well with uh with the song as a whole and just you know where he was at oh yeah i think that was like uh the house of cash which was his museum that he had run and it had fallen into a state of just really severe disrepair and yeah, you're right. It's kind of like Ecclesiastes. It's like a visual tour of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, the meaninglessness of life. Um, and I think that was Ruben's genius is that he was able to capture Cash uh, toward the end of his life and give him lyrics that really kind of spoke with a lot of pathos about um, those themes of vanity, looking back at a life uh, and, and, and taking stock of what was really important. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping we can get to some. I've got some a couple questions about the Rick Rubin years because that those were very. That was my entrance point with him, and so they kind of hold a special, mm-hmm. special place for me. But um, I like. I feel like with with Johnny Cash, I think there's very few artists that I think, especially because of how the music industry's changed, that people will still be listening to in a hundred years. But I think Johnny Cash is one of those. Um, and I kind of wonder if it's because he's so hard to pin down. Like I think for me, what makes him so compelling is that he was seemingly every man, you know, he's like sinner and saint. He's nice guy. He's asshole. He like, like he kind of, you can't hardly categorize him. And I think that for me, it seems like a a lot of his appeal for people is that wherever you're at, you can kind of find a section of Johnny Cash's life that speaks to you. Um, So, I mean, do you think his appeal to this day is the ability for anyone to find themselves in this story. Well, that's what I've discovered. So I've been talking about Johnny cash in a couple of different places, obviously since the book and just, there's a line of people that want to talk to me afterwards and, and the just, you know, young people and older people, and they all have these very different on ramps to his music. Yeah. Um, so there are, you know, the younger people that, that know the Rick Rubin music that yeah. that was their on ramp. And then there are the people that listened to him growing up. Like he was the soundtrack of their childhood. Yeah. Uh, and and then uh, there are songs that I discovered like Sunday Morning Coming Down. Like I wasn't a – I didn't know the song. I was talking about – as a song that Chris Christopherson wrote for Cash about um, kind of his season of in struggle with alcoholism. Anyway, so I, I, I – was talking about that song uh, at a church, played the song and sang it. And a guy came up to me, an older guy in his sixties. He said, you know what? I was an alcoholic and that, that song, you know, that was me. Exactly. I Mm -hmm. I understand everything about that song. So I think you're right. I think there was something about his ability. He, he, he was very generous in his music, the way he would try to find the stories of other people to tell where a lot of, I think modern artists like are trying to kind of narrate their own stories, their own heartbreak, their own, issues and call outs on other kinds of people. But Cash spent his music kind of finding stories of kind of people on the street. And that sometimes was a murderer in the prison. Sometimes it was a, you know, uh, an alcoholic on a Sunday morning on a street corner. Sometimes it was like a convict dying by railroad tracks. I mean, he was constantly looking for stories that gave voices to other people. And you're right. It gave a lot of people, a lot of ways to kind of connect with his music. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so 
my whenever I started listening to Johnny Cash was about the same time that my wife and I started dating, and um, I'm I was gonna go on a road trip with her and her her seventy uh, four year old grandma. Uh, so <laughs> like we, you do, <laughs> as one does when you first start dating. Oh, um, that is. Quite a date. Yes, it was. It was wonderful. So, but but on the whole road trip from from Indiana to uh, Colorado is where we ended up uh, going to. Uh, we listened to Johnny Cash the whole time because she knew the older catalog and I knew the newer catalog, and we kept going back and forth on different songs. Um, but, but yeah, I think that speaks to um, the different kinds of people, different age groups, you know, people with different life experiences. And his catalog is so vast um, that, that, you know, she was used to his, like his, his hymns that he used to sing, yep. you know, and, and here I am with the Rick Rubin era and, and mercy and, seat by Nick yes. cave. Yeah. Right. And, and it was just, it, it was, it was a way to connect, um, you know, through, through ourselves, it, uh, you know, through, through Johnny Cash's music. So, yeah, it, it is amazing how he almost had like two different careers yeah. in yep. that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people often enter to the late cash or the early cash. Yeah. So uh, when you're talking about how he sort of pertain, like he, he appeals to so many different people, you know, you talk a lot in the book about the, you know, you said your launching off point with him was the Folsom prison album. And that was an album that really struck me when I first got a hold of that. I was a, I was in ministry and I was struck, I think, by the same thing you were struck by in that how he was able to because at the end of the day, like, you know, you've got a, a at the time a pretty wealthy guy up there singing to a bunch of convicts. And so, like, there's a there's a definite, like, obvious an obvious gap there. But he was able to. He comes out and he starts singing songs like Cocaine Blues and Folsom Prison Blues, like about killing people and drugs and getting arrested and all this stuff. And by the time you know it, like they're they're equals, like in some weird way, he made him he was able to sort of make himself equal with and and bridge that gap, that divide that was there between them. And then he launches into like spiritual songs. Like he doesn't like when I was in ministry, I remember thinking, wow, that is something I feel like the church really Mm -hmm. could learn from is that he, he show he becomes one of them before he even starts singing about Jesus. You know, he doesn't come out and sing Greystone Chapel at the beginning, sings that at the end, you know? And, and I feel like that was just so uh, there were, I'm not sure there's a lot of artists that could pull off what he did there. A lot of people are trying. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the argument I make in the book, is that he's one of the few artists you can find, maybe one of the only ones you can find, where he would sing a murder ballad right next to, like, Amazing Grace, yeah. in the same set or the same album. And, you know, you, you can usually have to pick, right? You can listen mm-hmm. to a lot of dark music from, like, metal bands to rap bands that talk about killing and then there's like the music that's being put out by the Christian music industry. That's all the kind of the Jesus music and yeah. cash was singing. He, he, and I think again, that's what makes him compelling as an artist is the bandwidth of the human experience that he's yeah. able to speak to where normally what we do is we speak to either the dark cause we're trying to be cool and edgy or we're speaking to the light because we're trying to be uplifting to, you know, the, the, the good upstanding folk. And, and he was able to do it. Everybody like, like, so like p- people that, where criminals loved his music and people that were goers loved his music. The, yeah, the, 
the scope, uh, the moral scope of his music. Like he'll take you to some very, very dark places, yep. but he can also speak of redemption. And I think everybody, therefore, going back to your previous point about finding an on-ramp, anybody can find an on-ramp somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, no matter where you are. Yeah. It, and the thing that was amazing about him is he was a, it, it wasn't forced. Like it just sort of flowed out of him naturally, the ability to do that. You, it was never, it never came across as like hackneyed or stunted or anything. Like it was just, this is who I am in song form. And you believed it. Like he was believable. There was nothing fake about any of it. Um, yeah. And I think it's because he also struggled with his own inner demons. Yeah. So even though he was not, he, he was arrested during the season when right. he had been arrested a couple of times, but he was arrested for drug possession I think he was put in jail a couple times overnight for like public intoxication, yeah. but not really arrested, just to sleep it off. Never really in prison, though. A lot of people assumed he'd been. Right. That's to your point. A lot of people assumed he was so believable that a lot of people assumed Johnny Cash had been in yes. prison. Um, but but I think he was just I think he realized and this is the truth. That there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, like yep. he knew that there was a dark thing in him that was just one, a hair's breadth away from being exactly where those prisoners were sitting, and and so he, I think he could because he identified with that darkness in himself, was able to see himself where those prisoners sat. Yeah, and I mean, I think that ties in really well to a question I wanted to ask was about you know you talk in the book about Glenn Shirley who. With you know, one story says that he wrote the song Greystone Chapel, which Cash recorded on Folsom Prison Blues, and he was an inmate at Folsom at the time. And I actually was not aware of until I read read the book Glenn Shirley's story and what how he and Cash like what their relationship was even after uh, after that concert. So can you talk a little bit about that? And then you you talk in that chapter about the difference between salvation and solidarity. I would love for you to sort of expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so Glenn Shirley was an inmate at Folsom Prison, and Cash selected one of his songs to end the concert with. And so I talk about how that is an iconic moment where Cash, in expressing solidarity with the Folsom inmates, you know, sings one of their own songs, yep. written by one of their own uh, uh, brothers. And he, there's a famous photo from the concert where he's like reaching down off the stage and shaking Glenn Shirley's yep. hand. And so you kind of look at that whole picture and like, yeah, that's right. Standing with the marginalized, uh, you know, an act of solidarity, divine solidarity. Well, then after the concert, uh, Cash met Shirley and took an interest in him and worked behind the scenes to get him early parole. And again, that sounds like a beautiful right. story. But Glenn Shirley was a pretty disturbed guy. And even though Cash gave him a job and allowed him to sing some of his music on his concert tour, Shirley began kind of making bizarre, threatening remarks to the other band members and scared him. So Cash reluctantly had to cut Shirley loose. And so Shirley bounces around for a couple years, uh, gets back involved in drugs, is homeless, and eventually commits suicide. And I found that a really sad story, but because we kind of like to see the the Glenn Shirley, Johnny Cash moment at Folsom prison. We right. want the happy, we want the happy ending. But so Cash kind of entered into this guy's life and it was complicated and it was very messy. And ultimately Cash couldn't save Glenn Shirley. Yep. 
And I use that kind of sad story to just talk about the difference between, you know, a lot of times we want to kind of look at a broken world and we're going to kind of rush in on our white horses and we have our Messiah complexes and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to save people. But sometimes that's a way of denying, well, there's a kind of asymmetry there, right? I'm the hero coming in to rescue people. And I think it, what it does, the thing I talk about in the book is that savior complex kind of protects us from pain. Yep. Uh, because it's not mutual. And and so you stand in solidarity with people and you're just with them. You're not rescuing them. You're just with them. That you're going to open yourself up to some messy situations and some, and some heartbreak. And I talk about kind of how the economy of love is paid with those tears. And but that is what the gospel calls us to do, not not to rescue the world, but to just stand with each other in our pain and um, uh, be willing to pay the price of opening ourselves up vulnerably to a real relationship that might doesn't have a guaranteed happy ending. But it's a real relationship that's mutual and back and forth, which means I could be hurt uh, in this experience. And yet that's where grace calls us to be. So, I mean, has that revelation that you've come across there, has that, has that, has that in any way changed how you approach your Bible study at the prison? Yeah, because I think ultimately when you go out and stand in, work in places like a prison, you get, you know, you do get concerned about all the systemic issues. Right. And like of, of mass incarceration and the inhumanity of our criminal justice system. And, and you might want to focus on trying to fix all of that and trying to rescue people but what I've discovered, you know, over eight years of going out there, that although those things are important and we should definitely do those things, that there is something about just the fidelity to the ministry over and over, to be out there week after week, mm. year after year, to walk guys through the ups and through the downs and and to suffer because I can't fix it for them. I can't wave a wand or, or, or make the American criminal justice system functional. And I think a lot of us, um, because we can't fix it, we, we, we check out or we burn out. Um, but to stay there in, in that messy, complicated situation week in and week out is something I've learned that, that that's what I'm called to do. There's, there's a, there's a famous line of a Dorothy day. Do you guys know Dorothy day of yeah. the Catholic yep. work yep. movement? Yep. Um, the title of her, uh, one of the biographies of the Catholic worker movement is called A Harsh and Dreadful Love. And it comes from uh, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. Yeah. And I think about that a lot, that love is, I don't know, pe- people don't usually describe love is harsh and dreadful. But <laughs> but uh, I talk about that a lot with my wife, that love is a harsh and dreadful thing. Like, And by that I mean like cash forming a friendship with Glenn Shirley, right? That that was a harsh and dreadful thing that he did, that he was willing to step across into that vulnerability, into the heartache. And anybody, I think, who has loved anybody well knows that love is a harsh and dreadful thing. It is, it is a mystery. It is painful, but it is the most human thing you can do is to expose yourself to that. And that's kind of what I've learned out at the prison. I can't save anybody out there, but I can be faithful to them over the years and bear witness to their heroism that most of the world will never see if nobody could go in there and tell their story. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, so essentially what you're saying is showing up is the, is the key. 
Yeah, Samuel Wells, he's an author. Um, he has a great line. He says the most – we often think that the most important word in the Bible is for, doing for, right? That's the saving word. I will, I will work for you or do yeah. something for you. But he says really the most important word in the Bible is with. Mm-hmm. Being with each other, and that's solidarity, being with. And so the saving solidarity is really a difference between for doing things for people versus just being with people. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Hmm. Uh, I I want to switch gears a little bit um, to talk about, because I think it, I've read uh, Cash's auto, I've read Cash his autobiography like four times, and it's like one of my favorite all-time books. And he talks when he's talking about uh, the death of his brother, Jack. And if you, if anybody has seen, if any of our listeners have seen the movie, walk the line, yeah. it, that scene is there. Um, his brother dies tragically when he's little, uh, who was, his brother was going to be a minister and, you know, it's just, and they were so close and it was just a very unbelievably tragic, tragic thing that happened. Uh, talk with, if you could talk a little bit about how, Jack's death affected Johnny for literally the rest of his life. It happened as a kid, but it seemed to sort of like hover over him like a ghost for the rest of his life. Yeah. in good and bad ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, Jack was 15. John, Johnny Jr. was his birth name. So Jr. was 13. And, and that morning of Jack's death, uh, Jr. was, asked him to go fishing with him but jack felt he needed to make some money for the family so he went to cut some fence posts down at the school and while he was cutting those fence posts he gets pulled into the, uh, a circular saw which cuts into his gut yeah and lingers painfully for a few days and then dies things happen that one is and this is just grief right here this is not reasonable but in his grief felt that if he had just convinced Jack to go fishing with him, yeah. Jack would have lived. And so he took blame and guilt into him for Jack's death. And then it turned out, because Jack was the favored son, that that Cash's father, Ray Cash, kind of blamed Johnny. And again, that's irrational, but those are emotions talking. Kind of yeah. blamed uh, Jr. for, I guess, not you know being with Jack at the time or – um, allowing Jack to do that. So he not only internalizes his own guilt, he internalizes the blame of his father. And I think that broke him in some deep ways that he struggled with throughout his life. I think that's where we get some of the darker aspects of his personality emerging. Um, I think it has a lot to do with why he struggled with addiction. Uh and but the good thing is the other way that it affected his musical career is that Jack was going to be a minister. And after Jack's death, he was thinking of a way to continue his legacy. And he makes a promise to his dead brother that he would sing gospel music and through gospel music, share Jack's message through the rest of his life. And if you know his career, he sings gospel yep. music his entire career all the way through the Rick Rubin years with The Man Comes Around. Yep. Uh, like, so he's he's always, he does that whole thing. That, and so anytime you hear Cash singing gospel or about Jesus, he's he's honoring his dead brother, Jack. Yeah, it, it, it's such a, 
uh, in the, uh, there's a quote I actually just found it. It's one of my favorite quotes in in his autobiography where he, he's talking about the death of Jack, and he says this. He said, "There's no way around grief and loss. You can dodge it all you want, but sooner or later you just have to go into it, through it, and hopefully come out the other side. The world you find there will never be the same as the world you left." And like, I mean, that quote almost perfectly exemplifies his entire life after the death of Jack. Yeah, and he barely makes it on the other side, right? Yeah. Like, I think we almost lose him during the years of addiction. Like, yeah. he almost killed himself multiple times, yeah. and so the grief almost took him. But but that's why I think late in his life, he, he, he became so overt in his uh, gospel music, and he wrote a book about the Apostle Paul. He did a movie about Jesus. And I think all of that outpouring of kind of just outright, very obvious— religious material is really just gratitude that God pulled him through the darkness to the other side. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, switching gears again, uh, I'm going to read a, I, and this is always awkward reading a quote with the author that wrote it, but <laughs> this is such a good quote to me. Um, it's one of my favorite paragraphs in the entire book. And uh, so I'm going to read it real quick and then, and then ask a couple questions. You said this. So what is the gospel? It depends <coughs> on, it depends on who you ask. Pay very, very close attention to who you are asking and who you are allowing to read the Bible for you. Good news looks different depending on who you ask. There are rival gospels out there, and you'll have to decide which to listen to. But the Bible's answer is clear. God has a preference. God takes a side. So, like, if you listen to Johnny Cash's music, it's clear that he understood this. I mean, we've talked a little bit already about how, you know, he... Definitely in his music. I mean, you know, you talk about in the book about the album Bitter Tears that is literally a book about how, you know, the Native Americans have been screwed. And, you know, he's got all these different, almost some anti-war songs and like different protest songs. So he definitely understood this. Um, and he sought to let people know through his music that he understood this. So like in our culture today, like you look at, you know, 2020 America and it's obvious that the gospel message has been hijacked by the powerful. Uh, you know, you've got a uh, philanderer in the white house. That's now a Christian that, and every in the, in the Christian establishment is like, yeah, great. Um, and he's, you know, doing all these, he's locking kids in cages and doing all these things. And that is now baptized as Christian. So like in your mind, what, what's the way forward? Yeah, well, if I could answer that, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. You're 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 in, you're you're right on. If you could answer that, you'd win the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> Somebody yeah, we, will, maybe. Will eventually. <laughs> no, I think. I mean, so this is why I focus on kind of solidarity so much in the book, and even kind of call Johnny Cash a liberal That I that you're always reading. The gospel, if you read the gospel from the margins, that's that's going to be right. The gospel has to be good news for somebody on the margins. Yeah. But when the good news baptizes the powerful and the rich and the status quo, then then you're going to have a right. Then the gospel loses its well, it, it, it loses touch with with the God who um, sides with slaves and sides with the widow and the orphan and the alien. And so you're always I think that's the only hermeneutically safe move is to always interpret the gospel from the margins to just go out. If you stand on the margins and read the scripture with people on the margins, say, what is good news for you? 
what what will good news sound like for you? Then that's the gospel. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the good news. And you see that when Jesus does that, he he in his Nazareth manifesto in Luke, his very first sermon, he says, "I have come here to preach right good news to the poor and liberation to the captives." So you ask yourself, what is good news for the poor? What would be emancipatory for those who are in bondage? And then that's what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And anything that that is read, though, from the center of power is obviously going to be a distortion of, a, of the gospel and, and heretical in that sense, right? A, a betrayal yeah. of Jesus was up to. Ooh, man, boy, that if, if we, we can, could stop the interview right so can now. Can we just call it off now? Really just right let that there be the punchline. So, good. Uh, so psych, you're, you're a psychology guy, <laughs> obviously. Um, so psychologically, that's why I was really interested in talking to you three guys. Was, <laughs> what is wrong with these? Yeah, guys? I was gonna say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will, I will encourage you to not listen to this podcast back. Um, <laughs> Please don't. But like, psychologically speaking, is there any way to change hearts and minds of people to understand that God sides with the oppressed? Because like that, just I've talked with people before about that, and it just doesn't seem to register. I mean, so like what's going on psychologically there? And is there any way to sort of change that? Yeah, because I, I mean, I really think that we're talking about a bit of the human condition here. I think the the fault is 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 uh, we, we sell self-justification. And and so we're going to use God as a justification for. Uh, whatever's working for me. Yeah. And you can see that politically, or you can also see that in small little things yeah. in your life or whatever. Um, but I like I, what Walter Brueggemann says about this. So Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, is this this capacity. And it's a, it's a capacity to imagine God kind of standing over against you. And he talks about how the very first captive that had to be set free in Exodus was not the Hebrew slaves, <laughs> but it was God. Yeah, that God was the God was captive to the imperial imagination of Pharaoh, and so the shock of what Moses says that God is against you, against the status quo. That imaginative capacity to imagine a different. Um, a, the, the, or a different kind of a political imagination that God could possibly be against us. That that is, that's the first thing that has to happen. And and you're right that that's a capacity that has to be cultivated. Um, but one of the things I like about Johnny Cash, in our current context, is that he did. You know, he he served in the Air Force and he was a patriot. He loved America. Yeah. He 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 sang a lot about America. He had whole albums devoted just singing about America. And on one hand, you look at that and kind of go, well, that, you know, that's kind of country music. He's going to sing a lot about patriotism and wagging the, you know, the stars and stripes. But yet, as you mentioned earlier, he like did this whole album about the Native American experience and their exploitation under the hands of an American empire. I mean, he, so he has this whole album of protest songs that are very highly critical of America. And in fact, it was so critical that it didn't get a lot of airplay from right. the national establishment. He had to literally fight for it and burned a lot of bridges to get people to play bitter tears. And I think what has happened in America is that we've lost the capacity to love the country 
and criticize it at the same time. Right. Like any criticism is taken as being unpatriotic. You're not standing with the troops, yep. right? You're you're against America. And Cash was able to like love America enough to be able to criticize it. And a good example of this, I don't know if you guys have seen Netflix documentary about his invitation to the White House, the Nixon White House. No, I haven't seen it. You guys know that? So I mean, I, Netflix... I know a little bit about it because he talks he talks about it in his autobiography about how he kind of was with. Well, you talk about it in the book as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Nixon invites him to the White House for a concert, and a lot of his fans on the political left were very dismayed that he would accept the invitation to go to the White House. And but then Nixon asked him asked him to sing two songs. One was a "Welfare Cadillac," which was a song that was kind of a black anti-black sentiment song, right? People on welfare, and he wanted him to sing "Okie from Muskogee," which was like a taking a shot at like the Viet the young people protesting Vietnam. Yeah, and so Cash refused to sing both songs, and he goes into the White House and he sings a protest song of his own writing called "What Is Truth." And I and I think that's fascinating, right? He accepts the invitation to the White House, and he goes there and he sings a protest song. Yeah, like I just I just love that yep. that he would. So he's gonna go there, but he's gonna speak his mind. He's gonna say his truth. And Nixon, I think, at the end of the concert, said the one thing I've learned about Johnny Cash is you don't tell him what to sing. <laughs> um, and so I so so going back to the psychology here, I think maybe ways we can convince people to maybe see that you can be critical and, and also love your country is to put forward models that they admire like Johnny Cash. Yeah. So I think the boomer generation loves Johnny Cash. And so you can use Johnny Cash to kind of say, hey, don't we need patriots like Johnny Cash today? <laughs> did Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. Yeah. Did you see the commercial or the beginning of it when they played Ragged Old Flag? Oh, you know, I missed that. Yeah. yeah. So it's a pretty good example of it getting co-opted for like yeah. sort of nationalistic purposes. Like the whole thing was about how great America was. And I mean, it, I, I laughed. I actually I, I was like, oh, my God, I literally was just reading that that like that day I was reading your chapter on that song. And how about you were talking about how he gets co-opted, you know, by sort of the far right wing and even sort of like neo-Nazi nationalists. And that's a song that they love. And then all of a sudden it shows up in like this nationalist commercial about how great America is that night. It was pretty amazing. If you can look it up on YouTube, I was like, uh, all right, check it out. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of exactly what you were talking about because it, it dismisses Cash's critical, uh, sort of bent about the systems that this country has in place that oppress people. So yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, and another thing to remember is that he also testified in front of the U.S. Senate um, for prison reform. Right. And I, I think that voice is still very much needed. Like mm -hmm. the things he was arguing for in front of the Senate are still problems that we have. And so he was an activist in that regard as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and man, like I I get really I mean, I'm of a I guess I'm 40, so I'm I guess I'm younger generation than a lot of people. But like. <laughs> I get really itchy with patriotism because I've seen it so, uh, I don't know, abused, I guess. And, um, 
so I, I, I struggle sometimes with some of Cash's more patriotic things, but then, like you said, the thing that's interesting is that he also has all of these. He was also he was obviously very proud to be from this country. He was very proud of this country, but at the same time, with the idea of like, hey, let's not stop. Like, we're not the finished product here. Like, we need to we need to keep pushing forward for equality. Yeah, and and I try to wrestle. I'm like, I agree with you because I I didn't want the whole book that I wrote to just be completely, hey, Cash is his witness, his music is you know above criticism. Yeah. So I I did want to write a little bit where I felt that his gospel was vulnerable to the temptations of nationalism, and uh. And the argument I make is like that's legit. Like I, he's vulnerable on that score. Yep. But he would be hopelessly vulnerable if albums like Bitter Tears and Live at Folsom Prison did not exist, yep. because those albums at least show that he's he's exercising that critical capacity, that prophetic imagination, and so uh, that that's kind of when you talk about psychology, how do we cultivate that? You're 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 just trying to slowly people kind of raise their hand in the back of the classroom and go like, is, you know, are you sure this is okay? Like it seems wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and give people the courage to, to raise those questions and to level those criticisms. Right. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, it, it's such a, I don't know. There's a, there's a balance there. I, I feel like the older I get, the more I, in a lot of ways I'm trying to sort of, I, I grew up very conservative and then I think I swung major, major left. And now as I get older, the more I'm sort of trying to sort of reconcile the two and find <clears throat> some sort of functional middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we <laughs> that all that doesn't are, yeah. screw people over. You know what I mean? But also, I don't know. I, I it's, it's, we're a little far afield, I think, but uh, no, no, I agree with you. I think it's just, I think it's a struggle that a lot of us are dealing yeah. with now. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I, I mean, I guess, that's a pretty good transition to something I wanted to talk about was, you know, in the book you talk about Cash's views on darkness and light. And I would say that most of our listeners, and I would say, including the three of us have sort of jettisoned the idea of a being called the devil, you know, but cash. And I think you as well, you know, you wrote a book about this. I honestly, in, in all fairness, I have not read that book yet. Uh, you reviving old scratch. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. I wrote a book about the devil. Yeah. The whole thing. And, and so I think you as well have a sort of a different view than we do on this. So can you kind of, kind of explain that to us? Like how cash approached this, how you approach this and that kind of thing. Well, I think it's similar things, right? So not only do I spend time in a prison, I, I also worship at a little mission church called freedom fellowship. And a lot of our friends, there are homeless and a lot of them are dealing with addiction. Yeah. And so if you spend a lot of time with the recovery community, uh, people, people are going to talk about the devil or, yeah. and, and if the devil, maybe it's not like a literal, you know, personified spirit, but, but th- that language gives voice to a struggle that they're dealing with, that there are forces in them or around them that are, 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 are enslaving them. And I think sometimes liberals and progressives, because they're so focused on politics, kind of miss some of the the intimate 
spaces where we struggle with the darkness because yeah. everything's systemic. You know, right. everything's economic and systemic. Yeah. But I, I mean, here's the thing is I don't know how you can't not believe in the devil in the sense that, like, I think any self-aware person knows that if, if they're honest and they plumb the depths of their own soul, that they're we're always kind of standing on this kind of moral abyss. Right. Like, like right. we can things can get out of hand really quickly here. Yeah. And like some of us can f- feel like some sort of predatory presence if it's not a real presence but like we know that there the darkness is there and we are capable of it and i think cash in his own struggles with addiction named that force that propensity in himself and we don't we can debate the metaphysics of that sure but the psychology of it, I think everybody can understand yep. what it feels like to beat back the darkness every single day. Yep. Well, and I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, in reading the book, I would I would say that um, I think for me, like I said, I, I grew up conservative. So obviously I, I kind of believed in a literal, you know, as dumb as it may sound to me at 40 when I was a kid. Obviously, I thought about the devil as a, you know, a horned dude with a fork tongue and pitchfork and all this shit you know what I mean? like and i think a lot of us did and so i think in my deconstruction had jettisoned that but even in reading this the the chapter that you talk about this in the book i i can understand i i don't see anything wrong with using that language as a construct because i think it can be very helpful um you know i think cash is a pretty good example of that that he found that very that language very useful um talking about his demons and talking about the devil and that kind of things. And like you said, and I, I think, I think progressives would do very much disservice to people that are struggling with addiction to go, ah, that's just, that's malarkey. That's, you know, that's uh like sort of weird, you know, primitive esoteric, esoteric and, yeah. thinking. Yeah. Like I think we would do a great disservice. So reading that chapter, I think actually really helped me to understand how, like you said, even psychologically speaking, the language it can be very, very, very helpful to people. Yeah, and, and that's one of the ironies here is that, you know, the enchantment of spiritual warfare um, thrives on the margins of society. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wrote, like, why would a progressive like me write a book about the devil? And the answer was because I was out of the prison and I was at my mission church with people who are on the streets. And if you're in those spaces, Mm -hmm. those are enchanted spaces. Like Mm -hmm. the devil is real in the prison. Um, And so that's, that's one of the things I've appreciated about the prison ministry to me is that it's made me appreciate social location a lot more. So yeah, right. Like on progressive social media, who believes in the devil, right? We're all deconstructed, you know, but you go into a prison and you go like, Hey guys, the devil isn't real. They're like, what do you mean? The devil isn't real. Like, (laughs) Life. Oh, it's all around. Yeah, we, lo- we lost you. Lot Can you repeat that? We lost stuff. We, just doesn't translate. We lost you there for a minute. Sorry. Hello. Hey. Hey. Hey, guys. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we lost you there for a minute. So, get- <coughs> where do we lose him at? Well, he was talking about. Where, you know, well, you were talking about in the. You know a progressive can go into the prison and it's like you go into a prison and say, hello, hello. you there. Yeah, I'm back again. So what okay. were you saying? Okay. So, uh, 
you were talking about how you know you, a progressive can go into the you know you go into a prison and say the devil that come on guys the devil's yeah. not real and they would say uh mm, yep he is construction over beer out the whole supernatural metaphysical framework for all spiritual warfare but when you go to the margins of society like in a prison and say hey the devil isn't real you know you're going to get some pushback the guys out there are like what do you mean the devil isn't real like i my whole life and and he's not real like wh what are you talking about reflection better like sometimes deconstruction doesn't do any good um on the margin society right right yeah i think that's i think that's important that's something that's i think you have a unique perspective in that you're doing i mean you're you're in the margins i mean you're you said your your church you deal with a lot of addicts you're, you're out in the prison you know i i think it would be very um dishonest and disingenuous for anybody to look at that and go ah it's bullshit you know what I mean? Like, because it's because in the same time, it's easy. It would be easy for us to say that, but you're out there in it. it, it you know what I mean? And, and they're, I mean, those people, that's their lived experience is. And so I think it would be very ridiculous and sort of, uh, and not, I mean, I guess it's wrong to dismiss that. Well, and, and to be clear, it's not like I just, believe it right like so the oh, reason sure. i wrote the reason i wrote the book is to say like if i can't if i can't go back to that kind of like you were talking about that that uh childlike belief in the devil that we had when right. we were children yeah but i want to honor the language where i'm hearing it and i want to learn from their experiences then i needed to figure out a way to think about it and so yeah. i think there's ways to think about it and being a psychologist is helpful here i think a lot of us recognize you can you know you can call it the union the shadow side you yeah. can kind of pull the richard Rohr. it's yeah. the false self i mean there's lots of ways to talk about the darkness uh, that we're struggling with without evoking you know a guy with you know horns and a pitchfork yeah well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to read that book. I'm actually buying it right now on Amazon. Um, <laughs> you can so, at least wait till the interview's over. Well, okay, I'll do that. I'll wait. Uh, but uh, okay, so let's let's switch gears. We're kind of running out of time. I've got a million questions, but I'm not going to get to all of them. Um, yeah, we'll just have to have him back on. So, I think in my mind, Rick Rubin. Let's go to the Rick Rubin years. Rick Rubin will forever be a genius to me for what he did with cash. Um, we talked, you know, you mentioned earlier, like he kind of has two careers. He's got the older sort of some of his rock and roll stuff, his his gospel stuff, his country stuff. And then he has the Rick Rubin years, the American recording well, years. Well, the stuff in the 80s nobody gave a shit about. Well, I mean, well, and that's mentioned in the book. <laughs> that's too, like, a, like, like a third, it's like yeah, a third yeah. career. Um, and so those, you know, I, I was sort of uh, the American recordings albums. I started listening to Cash around 2002, mm -hmm. and those were my entrance point. Um, so... Let's. Can you talk a little bit about how weird and wonderful the relationship was between those two? Yeah. So Cash is kind of at the end of his career. Like I, he even did a stint in Branson. Yeah. And yeah. and so you know where, where when careers you're playing, go to die. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when you're playing your greatest hits in Branson, you know your your cultural relevance has kind of come to an end. Right. And and so Rick Rubin, right? He's a young thirty-something-year-old producer, Californian, uh, producing like hip-hop and metal bands. Yeah. And and so Rubin was looking to do work with an aged country music icon, 
and they meet and they're both kind of introverted guys. They kind of sized each other up the first time they met. And, but you know, cash, what was cash's options? Like he was, at the, you know, he was at the end of the line and, yeah. you know, Ruben, you know, kind of said, let's, let's just kind of see what the, where this goes. And he just kind of sat cash down in front. The very first time he brought him to his house to record, he just said, just, you know, just play me anything you want to play. And so cash just played all these songs from his career, folk songs and train songs and gospel songs. And, and then the second time they sat down, um, uh, he had him do it again, and this time he recorded it, and he played a murder ballad, Delia's Gone. Yeah. And, uh, and Ruben said that was it. Like, that was the original man in black, that kind of guy that would take you to these dark places, right? It's a kind of domestic homicide, but then he's haunted by the ghost of Delia. Can't can't sleep anymore. He hears her feet in his cell, and he's like, that's the guy from you know Folsom Prison Blues. And that's the lead song, the very first song on the very first album is Delia's Gone. And uh, yeah, that, w- that was a bit of Ruben's genius. The other thing about it is he didn't overproduce those that early album. It's all acoustic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people rediscovered Johnny Cash and his voice and the authority of his voice, particularly at that, that age of his, that really kind of caused people to kind of take interest in him said it opened his music uh to a whole new generation yeah yeah i think in his uh in in his autobiography in cash he talks about how weird he still couldn't get over it was when i think he wrote it when like unchained was that album was out and new and he was talking about how weird it is to see his audience was like young kids you know and they're singing rusty cage by soundgarden yeah and just i mean i mean yeah it's just when you look at his entire life arc, that is so unbelievably weird, and yet it worked. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, the Delia's Gone video was so edgy that MTV wouldn't even play it. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, was it Kate Moss you know? that was in that? Yeah, she plays the corpse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, never mind. Is that on IMDb? Or yeah, is that, <laughs> is, that, is that under IMDb yeah. credits? Um, well, and I remember, I mean, you know, speaking of his recordings, like, I think it was America Five, A Hundred Highways, was the one oh, that was released man. right before he died. And you can hear his voice. You can like, hear him dying. Yeah. And these songs. I mean, it. It's literally the sound of a man who is on his last breath. Yep. And it, it was just. I mean, Ruben's ability to just capture. I mean, that kind of. Um, was work pathos. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? You know, just to, just to capture that kind. The sound of a man at the very end of his life. You know, well, of, that whole album, it's just songs about death. Yeah, just you know, like the 309, God's Gonna Cut You Down, Help Me. I mean, like, and then that, then you, he really, they released one more post, uh, posthumously, the which was even more like him, just stuff at the end of his life. And it's just, it's a powerful, it's almost like I, when I die, I want that to be played at my funeral. Like, it's just, it's such a powerful soundtrack and um, a conclusion, just an incredible musician, incredible life. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then when you realize and know a little bit about Cash's story, yeah, and that that you realize that here's a guy that has had lived a full life, but had also kind of, you know, hurt a lot of people and hurt himself, and so it's not just that the lyrics are there; it's that you know there's a lived experience of an older man looking back over his life, and I don't. There's not a lot of music like that out there where you have an aged country singer retrospectively looking at his life. I mean, so there is something, yeah, it is profound. It is sad. It is uh, mournful, but it's also got this rich 
depth to it that is just spiritually speaking, just lacking in a lot of music. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, I think in it, for a guy that was so in, in so many ways, sort of tortured in his life, you know, with what well, I mean, guess for lack of a better phrase, there you go. Demons mm-hmm. like to see how he was singing these songs and seemed so at peace <laughs> with his mortality was, I, I mean, once again, if you can take cash at his entire catalog, you, you just, I, I there's just never for me, never been another artist like him. I don't think there ever will be. Yeah. And I think, it, I think is it's, it's important to bring up his faith at that point. I think, yep. I think because of his faith, he was able to face his mortality. Do you know the story that he and Rick Rubin toward the end of his life would take communion together? Yes. I did hear that. Yeah. 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 And so just just his his faith at the end of his life, I think, was gave him a great deal of comfort. Um, uh, and I and I don't know, I think that's beautiful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got like, I don't know, 14 more questions. And so we're not going to get to them. We've taken up enough of your time. But uh, do you have time for a lightning round? Sure. All right. I've got a I've got a few questions. These are just simple. Uh, favorite cash song. Uh, Folsom Prison Blues. Yeah, yep. it's so good. I, I would say Cocaine Blues, but that one's a, a close second. Yeah. Uh, okay, if a genie granted you one wish, what would you ask for? Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is this is not a lightning round. If a genie granted me one wish, what would I ask for? Don't say more wishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost said that. I, I don't know. An unlimited supply of chocolate milk, I guess. <laughs> Was wasn't expecting that, but that's a great answer. Uh, all right, for superpowers, invisibility or flight? Oh, flight! All right, yeah, I yeah. think so too. Uh, how yeah. do you like your coffee? Uh, cream. Okay. Do you have a Do you have a favorite uh, origin or blend or anything? Um. Oh man, I, I'll drink anything. I'm really bad about that. Oh, that's all right. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I. I drink single origin coffees, but I am a total slut for a diner coffee as well. Like just that's, give me that's a, my thing. Yeah, man. Give yeah. me a shitty diner coffee and I'm all over it. Yeah. Uh all right. And then the the last one, does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a fruit, right? Isn't that a fruit? <laughs> Very definitive. <laughs> that's so yeah, good. No. All right. Where where can people find yeah, you? Yeah, where online? can people find you? I blog every Monday through Friday at Experimental Theology. So that's where I'm online. That's the only place I'm online. Um so you can find me at that blog um every Monday through Friday. Excellent. We want to get you back on and talk about Unclean because that book is amazing. Yeah, or I'll just ask you the, <laughs> the rest half of the, the questions, questions I didn't get to on this. Uh the book yeah, is absolutely. Trains Jesus and Murder, The Gospel According to Johnny Cash. Richard, it's so good. I recommend any of our listeners, whether you're a Cash fan or not, there's there's nuggets in there. Even if you're not a Cash You'll fan, I think one. I think you can yeah. find him so compelling. Uh, the book is fantastic. So, uh, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. We got a tracker on that White Castle delivery. <laughs> now that you've your oh, how far away are my White Castles? can tell us what you think David Crowder remix beep, 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 boop, boop, beep, beep. Us, 
the Ted Nugent remix. What happened to David Crowder? He turned into Ted Nugent. Dude. What a wasted talent. Jesus Christ. I got a new album. It's called Neon Steeple. It's uh, got beeps and boops and banjos. At least you should have called the album. Beeps and boops and banjos. <laughs> David Crowder and his MacBook. I need I need protein stat. I, know. I don't know about y'all, but I, need, I can I use some I carbs and protein. I need, I need a goat burger stat. Goat, goat, goat. Sex dogs, <laughs> five times. Man, dog dog. Wait, wait where, did you text him? No. Hey, do we text have a, him? He's, he's probably driving. driving. No texting and driving. Hey, did you just pour like another gallon full of whiskey? He did. Do you work tomorrow? No. Okay. Thank God for that. I'm off. I'll be hungover tomorrow. It's fine. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. That's marvelous. Thank God, I feel like shit. Sleep till eleven. Vomit at till vomit at twelve. Go back to bed at one. <laughs> just just <laughs> FYI, how many times have you puked because of this podcast? Just once, I think. Mm, I've never. A few weeks ago, I never have. No, you did it for the live event for sure. Oh god! Oh, the hundredth. Yeah, the hundredth. Oh fuck yeah! I came home. I came home and vomited. I've never vomited, but but I wasn't hung over the next day. I just I literally just vomited when I came home. And I have dipped my nuts in Worcestershire sauce. Yes, you have, and it was literally on the underside of my uh, toilet seat. Sorry about that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Look like a shit stain. Yeah. Who says it wasn't? I. Fuck. I'd rather be Worcestershire. Do you smell it? No, Michael. God damn it. Man, do we have any five star reviews? No. Did you th- did you burn those glasses? What the little balls that we used? No, I them? washed them, but I made sure and set my hands on fire with kerosene after I did. I didn't. My nuts did not. Touch I'm that literally ball. the one that put them in the dishwasher, and I knew exactly where they'd been. Mine were fine. It I would rather brass, I would so rather I have dipped my hand about. in a sink full of sausage gravy water. Than that. Have you used the bowl since then? Probably. They've been through the dishwasher six times. Do we on, have any five-star reviews? No. Damn it. We don't. Sorry. We don't have any feedback either, so don't even bother playing the song. What's <laughs> 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 Everybody hates this podcast. <laughs> Doesn't thrill me at all. So, so tell, tell me, me why should it be true? And I, I get a belt out of you. Shove it up your butt. Some get the kicks from cocaine. I'm Chris Hansen. No, you're not. Is that? No, you're not. Yes, I am. Oh, oh God! Yeah, her, Michael. Um, what are we doing? Hashtags. Oh, okay. Was it White Castle time yet? Where are my White Castles at? This is a mystery. <laughs> For right. Kick Pounder. Ha- hashtags. Michael. Michael. Well, we paid close attention and we wrote them all down. Now 
it's time to decide our hashtag. Like strawberry wine. That's what I call my vaginal juice. Oh. Strawberry wine. No. I thought it was hot July, June. <laughs> a little bit of that, too. A hot July moon, what did it say? All right. All right. God. Are you serious? Michael. The Bow version. I had sex. God, hashtag it's a rare condition. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Patrick Duffy. Hashtag <laughs> Christmas with a view. What was that? It's one of Patrick Duffy's movies. Christmas with a view. <laughs> hashtag pineapple dick. Elijah's on his way back, by the way. Hashtag oh, they God. all kind of taste like pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag to go back from Chili's. Uh, I need another pineapple dick. <laughs> Hashtag hamburger for sex. <laughs> Hashtag email your son. <laughs> Hashtag in the biblical sense. <laughs> Hashtag Gwyneth Paltrow pussy candle. Wow. Well, that's. I feel like that's probably already a hashtag. I tell you what, the word Jeffrey Epstein candle that's out there. I've been thinking about bringing it as a prod, as a. I tell you what, date. the the word pussy and the word butthole are two of the f- most fun words to say in the English language, and they never don't make you laugh. Yeah, I said it last episode, and I regret saying it, but it is well, such a fun word it, to you say. You said it in a really bad context. Yeah. And I, I was listening back, and I was like, kind of funny. I was listening back, and I was like. Ooh, yeah, that's not great. I regret saying it, but but you still don't. Funny. All right, so you don't. Uh, hashtag a good amount of wetness. Ooh. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Hashtag she, she felt sticky. Wow. Well, man. That's, well. And then hashtag beeps and boops and banjos. <laughs> it's the title of David Crowder's memoir. Uh, hashtag unlimited <laughs> supply of chocolate milk. Uh, hashtag Dallas Two Electric Boogaloo. Hashtag touching cotton. Wait, what? What was that from? S- somebody was talking about the pra- fabric of our lives. <laughs> somebody was talking about Prairie Dogging or something. I think. Oh, you said touching cotton. Touching yeah. cotton. Uh, the fabric of our yeah, right. uh, hashtag that pineapple dick is pretty good. Hashtag filleting the gummy pe- the gummy penis. Hashtag is that with Ving Rames? <laughs> it's Ving Rames. Hashtag dot com. <laughs> hashtag vagina juice. And then hashtag beeps and boops and banjos. That's what I want to vape is vagina juice. <laughs> like to vape some vagina juice. It's got to be better dude, than regular vape uh, We got to get this over in this podcast right now. Hey, we're going to have White Castles on this podcast, so we're drawing it out. 
Michael, what you do want you another have? bag of dicks? No, I don't. I didn't try one the didn't first we have, time. What did I don't you like have, gummy Didn't candies. we have one that was like the automatic winner? What What did you? I like a good amount of wetness. That's a pretty oh, good. God, there was one that's that somebody said. That. No, there was another one though too. Uh, um, I like, I like Christmas with a view. No, that fucking wasn't it. Uh, to go bag from Chili's. No. All right, here's what I got. All right, Michael, what do you got? Patrick Duffy deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's at the top of the list. Uh, this is a uh, quote from uh, Matt. Uh, 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 uh. He said, "Massive ass machines." What? He said, massive, oh, massive ass, ass machines. machines. Yeah. No, not massive ass machines. Yeah. Massive ass I was going to say, there's a, there's a comma there's a in there somewhere. There's a no, difference. Wherever no, you put the comma makes a difference. Massive ass machines. No, what that's what not said. what I fucking said. I said massive ass machines. Uh, God. Uh, uh, pineapple dicks. Extra meat. <laughs> Nickname in high school. No, it wasn't. <laughs> No, it wasn't. Uh, hamburger for sex. You absolute virgin. Hamburger. You absolute virgin. <laughs> That's the lesser known vodka. God. Yeah. It's just olive oil. Straight. <laughs> just tastes like cherries. <laughs> okay, I got uh, hamburger for sex. Uh Vagina juice. Just add in bait vagina juice. Uh, felt sticky. <laughs> Beeps, boops, and banjos. Uh, plays the corpse. And absolute virgin. I really like a good amount of wetness. That's I like that a lot. That's pretty on brand. You don't I mean, do, sure you don't want to do massive ass machines? <laughs> I don't know. What, what was your bread? A good amount of what? I think that that's pretty on brand. Right. We're waiting for the White Castle. Yeah, well, we're still I, waiting for the I White mean, Castle. We can pause. Why would we want to pause, man? Let's shoot the shit. How's your dick doing, Michael? You got a voicemail? Thought I had a message from Elijah, but apparently not. Why are you listening to it? Because uh, it was Michael? an audio message, Michael. Oh. Michael, hit pause so we can just wait for the White Castles. Okay. All right. Wait, I gotta find it. Yeah. Do you have a question? Do you have like a tracker on him? What? Do you have a tracker on him? No. Why? You don't have like a find a I have find his a phone? iPhone. Find his iPhone, yeah. Why you use that shit, bud? He said he was on his way. Maybe he stopped by. McDonald's parking lot got some dope. <laughs> and all those low riders that park around there late at night. No cops around. Where's he at? Hmm? Is he here yet? No. I'm so excited. White Castle. We said I get Castle. Alright, we'll be back for an extended pastor's. Fat pastors upside. Ten bucks, like, nah, I'm comfy. I said, "Yeah, I'm recording this." Are you really? Yeah, I've been recording. Well, can this you stop, <laughs> Michael? What are you doing? I'm done. Michael, yeah. Delete what? this. Delete this no, shit. I can't, Michael. 
This is hot content. Should I really no, it literally Patreon? isn't. It's literally not. It's garbage. <laughs> Just fucking delete it. I'm not going to delete it. I mean, I can't delete Michael. this shit. This is the the premium. He is the worst. Great A. The absolute worst. All right. All right. We'll be back. This is the White Castle of content. Yeah. It's great. Update. So, Lenny. No, we're, we're not. We're re- tracking, oh. tracking Lenny now. He, <laughs> he, is at, he is at Taco Bell right now. He said God, I he had literally one job. He He's said one job. He yo care he Taco said, Bell. I said, dude, where are you? I'm at Taco Bell. You said I could get something. I sent him the the emoji with the. Uh, no, we didn't cl- say you could get something. Eyes. We I said we would I pay said, you twenty dollars. He said, hey, a brother needs to eat. <laughs> God. God damn it, we're gonna be here. Freaking Lenny. It is nine. It is nine twenty seven. I want to eat my burgers and go home. I got four, by the way. <laughs> you could, Jesus Christ. You got four? Yeah. I had like a piece and a half of pizza for you dinner. Fat fuck. Whatever. <laughs> I lost five pounds last week. Shut up. Ish. Yeah. Depending on the day. <laughs> you uh-huh. gained it all back today. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll come back whenever. Do we do a music segment? It's not. No. Cash? No. 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 We're waiting. No. no nobody we're not. needs any no. more content. Nobody from needs us. any we'll more back. crap from yeah, us. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, while we're waiting for our White Castles, uh, public service <laughs> announcement, um, we just decided, executive decision, that we are going to do a, a, for our 200th episode, is that what it is? Yeah. We're going to do an Ask a Pastors episode. So uh, send us in your voicemail at uh, 484-PASTORD. Is that right? Yep. Last yeah. time I checked. Hey, you can go to our website, gloriouspastors.com, click on voicemail, and then it'll tell you the number there, too, if, in case I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure it's 484-PASTORD. Yeah, what, what's what's the numbers for that? Do we know? No, just I think dial, I have it written down. Just dial four eight four pastor. You do. You've written it down somewhere because I know you said it. Where is that? Nobody's is gonna remember Bible? it. Just four eight four pastor. That's the easiest way to do it. Did I write that down? In Everybody the... knows how to dial the, the letters. It's fine. Yeah. So four eight four pastor is uh, the number. Uh, we'll be taking your your questions about uh, theology, sex dolls, um, uh, BJ's, sixty ninety. No. What? Vagina juice? No. Oh, Lenny pulled in. Oh, shit. All right, yeah. Uh, 484 Pastor, call us in the next couple weeks for yeah. a, a live episode. Let's just keep recording. Why would we not just keep recording? Because what are you going to say, Michael? I'm going to say... We're waiting on him to come in with our our burgers. I hate this podcast so much. No, you don't. You're getting your free burgers. Yeah. Still. Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> Uh, my son is totally into to Home Alone right now. Watches it all the freaking time. Loves it. I mean, usually he's watching Jurassic Park. So at least yeah, it's a so it is a change from... But it's also after Christmas, so it's like, meh. Do we need to keep... We should... Going with <laughs> there he is. There he is. We're not paying for your freaking Yes, Taco we Bell. are. We should have we? We used your card to pay for it, so technically you're paying we, for we it. We should have live-tweeted the uh, state What'd of you the get, Lenny? What is tonight? that? I'd what rather do anything but that. I'm sure like, it is an absolute disaster. It's going to be a disaster. He's got dementia, and he's on Adderall. Like, gosh. Oh. I got four burgers, so I better end up with four burgers. I'm just saying that. I don't know if... Michael, one of them, two of them have cheese, and two of them, four of them, six of them don't. All right, mine are at the bottom, so. <laughs> I haven't had one of these in, like, forever. It's been a couple months since I've had He forgot the, the onion rings. 
No, I didn't tell him to order. I just told him to get the burgers. It's fine. Oh, my okay. God. Yeah. I can't wait. Oh, yes. Lenny, you're the best. I needed this. Good job, Lenny. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll send you. I'll get you 20 bucks. We'll send you a money order. Do you have PayPal? No. Well, your dad does, so. Well, it's nine thirty-six. Oh my God, it's so good. they're so good, man. Like they're just they're just garbage burgers. What are you doing? Beth is getting one. Are you for real right now? Technically, she gets half of them because you're married to her. She just ate one of my burgers. Yes, yeah, she did. It's fantastic. No, eat the whole thing, Beth. Don't don't do that to no, him. No, don't give him. Half of no, them. He here. doesn't need three and a half. He's tormented you for the better part of 20 I years. I farted all day at work today. I'm going to have White Castle. I need four of them. <laughs> the Matt Polly story. Can I give half of it to Gwen? No! <laughs> she wants one, though. She can't have onions. Are you going to come over later and clean up her shit off the floor? She can't have onions. Dogs can't have onions. Really? Mm-hmm. Wait, that's... Oh, hi. Well, well they right can. Here. They just don't react well to yeah, it. She ate one of your what? Can we end this, please? Yeah, okay. Michael, oh. just end it. We're done. We did the hashtag. All right. What was the hashtag again? Oh, uh, did we ever decide? A good amount one? of wetness. A good yeah. amount of wetness. So if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, hit us up on good amount of wetness. And why wouldn't you? Um, hashtag good amount of wetness. Uh, what else? What, what, what else are we doing? God, these are so good. That These are so good. Um. Yeah, and then leave us a voicemail at uh, beat them. four eight four mm. pastor. You just can't. No. Hey, did you guys know there's little sayings at the bottom of there? Your box. I don't care. Mine says Walter B. Flew to Vegas just to buy a crave case. He really hit the jackpot. The other one says Harold and Kumar provided that no quest is too epic for the crave. I think if I had zero self-respect, I could eat ten of those in one sitting. I can do six. That's about yeah, the I most I can put down. down. I bet I can do ten. I, I generally put six down if I eat them. Yeah. I mean, I I won the thirty nugget challenge <laughs> by I, a pretty fair amount. Oh man, or was it twenty nugget? Twenty. No, was it still? 20? It was yeah. twenty, but I I beat the both of you by a pretty fair margin. Matt, you've got uh, White Castle in your beard. You do. You've got an onion or something in your beard. You know, if I if I'm sitting in White Castle, Mike Quinn, I'll get their Dusseldorf mustard and put it on yeah. there. I love their Jesus Dusseldorf. So I have that. Like so we're drinking. I didn't say it's so good. Mm-hmm. What did What did Lenny get Taco Bell? Did you get Taco Bell, buddy? Oh, what? you got the nacho fries. Those are so good, man. Get it. his fries away. Well, I'll just take a couple. No. Uncle Brad wants a couple. Well, there's only like two left in there. Oh, my God. Those are great. Thanks for going, Lenny. Lenny, Thanks. you're the best. Yeah. <laughs>